It's time for the Little Agency That Roars podcast, a podcast that connects you with talented and brilliant people. And that's all of us. We are available wherever you stream your podcast, so go ahead and find us and subscribe. I'm your host, Michael Fasoni, and let's get started. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. How's that? Is that better? I'm a mess. I'm a complete mess. You sound like Josh Rogan, too. Is that the guy, Joe Rogan? Joe, I just call him Josh. It's just because I'm bald and short. Actually, I think that, that guy's really good. <laughs> um, you guys are good together. So if we, if we flub, we correct ourselves and move on, move on. right? Because there's no cutting. No, there's yeah. no editing. And you don't edit it. No. Wow. Everything right. we do is edited, as you know. Right. As you know. More right. More than any, most people I have on here. Yeah. Everything's concise and edited, so this isn't. This is raw. That's awesome. Um, that's fun. And I think that's... I think that's better for the audience. Uh huh. I don't know. Sounds right. good. So let's get started. Sitting here with Mike Wunsch, co-owner of Outpost Worldwide. Mike, how you doing? Good to see you, Michael. Doing great. It's great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for being here, man. You bet. Before we get into, or no, let's do it. First, tell us what is Outpost Worldwide. Sure, Outpost Worldwide is a full-service production company, and what that would mean to somebody that may not be familiar with the business Mm -hmm. is kind of the the old cliche, script to screen. I mean, we get involved in the creative process and writing and producing everything from concept with the client clear to final delivery, which, of course, these days, final delivery is 99% on a computer. But, uh, yeah, we do do shooting, we do editing, animation, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. And over the years we've been in business, we've, we've had a crazy variety of jobs. It's been a lot of fun. You do audio too. Absolutely. Audio is a big part of it. I'm glad you said that because uh, one of the phrases in the business, which is so true, is the best way to mess up a video job is to mess up the audio. Uh, without good audio, it's the end results aren't good. And so audio is super critical. Can, can remember that. And let's come back to that later. Sure, you bet. I want to just get everyone a broad overview of who you are and what your company does. And then I kind of want to get into how you, you got here. You bet. Um, but I want to write, write a note there because I will forget. And again, yes, you know, for the average person listening who is not familiar with our industry, yeah. um, you said from script to screen, you know, but you also work with agency partners like absolutely, myself. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I like to say, and it's so true, and Fasoni Partners is a perfect example, it's a team sport. I mean, if there's anything that's a team sport, it's the production business mm-hmm. and, and agency business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always like to say to newcomers or people there's a reason for all those credits at the end of a movie or a tv show is because again it takes a lot of people to pull these things off the end result looks so simple to the person at home they don't think anything of it but it's truly a industry and on top of that it's a profession i mean it's a true profession that takes lots of experience to do it right it's an art absolutely there's a lot of nuance built into it Mm -hmm. there's a lot of precision Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you excel. Thank you. Um, and I want to talk about that. And that's probably a really good entry into your past. Mm-hmm. You come from a technical background. It wasn't your father well, a technical person? Kind of. Well, my father, actually, my dad, who has since passed away, unfortunately, but 
he had an amazing career in Kansas City as an architect. Right. And in fact, he was literally the project architect for the stadiums. Arrowhead. Yes, or both Arrowhead both. So when I was a boy at that time, I was about 10 years old. My dad would come home with armfuls of blueprints because he was, he was the lead architect on the stadium. And so the point being, his, he was responsible. He had to sign all the drawings. He was responsible for getting the stadium built with the uh, contractors. Okay. Uh, the, to clarify, though, the designer was Charles Deaton out of Denver, Colorado. Deaton designed it, but then my dad, who at the time was with Kivett and Myers, he was, he, was, he was the lead architect in getting the stadium built. And it's funny going around Kansas City, because you know, Kansas City's in such a renaissance now. Unfortunately, my dad didn't live long enough to see the renaissance of downtown, the you know, the streetcar and just all the mm-hmm. stuff going on and Sprint Center. He he passed away about ten years ago, so he, he missed okay. he missed a big chunk of that. But it's so wild to go around town with him and say, Oh yeah, we worked on that. Oh, and we did that. <laughs> like KCI Airport, they worked on the airport, and they worked on Crown Center. They built Crown Center, uh, Oak Park Mall, and just Penn Valley Community College, and on and on and on. But the big one, of course, the big one was the stadiums. Mm -hmm. And uh, a funny story, because it totally impacted my future. I think my dad was so burnt out and so frustrated building the stadium, because it's such a monster job. And then in the middle of it was the biggest construction strike in the history of Kansas City. There was a almost a two-year construction strike, which, of course, was not good for, for, time, for uh, schedules. Long and short, he'd come home and he'd say, you know what? When I get this job done, we're moving the family to Alaska. And we're like, okay, Dad, that sounds great. And we thought, you know, Dad's just frustrated. And then he'd come home and he'd say, we're moving the family to Australia. Like, okay, Dad. And so at a point, we're like, you know what? This isn't, none of this is really going to happen. We're going to stay in Kansas City. Then he comes home one day and he says, we're going to move to Beirut. We're like, Beirut? Where's that? And six weeks later, we're standing in Beirut, Lebanon. He moved our family to Beirut with, a, with the Kansas City firm. We, he moved I forgot to, all about that. Yeah, we moved to, we moved to Lebanon for uh, architectural work in the Middle East. Of course, it was booming with the oil boom. How old were you? I was 16, so I it was a oh my god joy. It was it such was a, oh it was such an incredible experience. I, I you weren't course, afraid like at 16 the, in the crux of your teenage years you weren't afraid to leave your hometown city. You know, to... not really. For some reason, I always had that eager desire to travel, even as a kid. I think it's because my parents always took us on family vacations, and I just loved travel. Uh, but it was it was such an eye-opening experience because I like to say, you know, prior to that, I was a mall rat, you know, hanging out at Prairie Village Shopping Center, <laughs> hanging out at Oak Park Mall. And right. Like, you know, my, my horizons weren't very big. And then all of a sudden, my dad's packed us up and moved us to overseas. And so long and short, that impact right there changed the entire trajectory of my life. I mean, it changed the future of my life in a very positive way. Uh, because then I became interested in journalism and in world affairs, and I started learning Arabic. Unfortunately, it's such a long story. I don't want to take up all our time talking about this, it. No, but, the, please. But uh, when we moved to Beirut, there was one small problem, and that was the beginnings of a civil war. Uh, so this was in 1976. The civil war was breaking out. We were there for about two months of peace, and then all hell broke loose. 
And we spent, spent like another two to three months where we couldn't even leave our neighborhood. It was too dangerous to go two miles away. You just couldn't couldn't leave. The and you had just gotten there. Yeah, the whole idea is we were supposed to. We're welcome we, home. We were supposed to be there for like four years. They were doing work in Bahrain uh, on an island of Bahrain. The reason they chose Lebanon for us to live is a lot of people don't realize, but Lebanon's a gorgeous country, mm-hmm. a fantastic. The city of Beirut is spectacular, and so it's a very international place. Um, when my dad went to Bahrain, he saw the little American school kids waiting for the bus at 7.30 in the morning, and it was 115 degrees. And he said, I, I don't think so. I don't think my kid, <laughs> I don't think the kids are going to do too well with this heat. So the point being is we ended up in Lebanon, which they call the Paris of the Middle East. And that poor country's gone through such hell, and mm-hmm. it's really a shame because it's truly an amazing, amazing country. Uh, so that so because of that experience, we, we we ended up in overseas for a year. We had to leave Beirut. Smartest thing my dad did is he kept four TWA round trip tickets back to Kansas City in his possession the whole time we were there. Of course, he's not talking to his family about all this. He's just making plans, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a father, getting his bases covered. Because of course, first thing that happens when a civil war breaks out, all the banks close. And not only do they close, they all get robbed first. And so I know at one point we're in Lebanon, they had announced there had been 43 bank robberies. Oh, my God. And we're not, we're not talking a guy coming in with a handgun. We're talking guys coming in with machine guns and blowing the front of the building out and, and mm-hmm. you know, like taking a tank and blowing open the vault. High budget production film Absolutely. Just, <laughs> just cleaning out the banks. And so the point being... It didn't matter how much money you had. You couldn't get it out of the bank. Mm-hmm. But the smartest thing my dad did is he had those round-trip airline tickets. And so those were like cash. And so I remember one morning getting woken up by my dad. He's like, get up, son. Get up. We're leaving. I go, we're leaving? What are you talking about, Dad? I thought we were going to be here for four years. No, we're leaving. We've been told at our office that the hell is, hell is about to happen. It's going to get much, much worse than it is. So we packed up and we headed to the Beirut airport. All the glass of the terminal was blown out. We literally just walked through plate glass windows to get to inside the airport. There was no security. It it was a a mess. And so unfortunately, my little uh, educational endeavor in Beirut, I went to school a total of four days. And because, of course, the schools closed. And I was going to the... uh, American High School at the University American University of Beirut, which to this day now has a super good reputation. I was so excited because especially the business I'm in, my my classes were going to be Arabic, English, filmmaking. I had a cinematography class in high school, and all these cool classes. So I was super excited. That Stuff getting, they didn't offer here. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. I, and they said, "Hey, you graduate from this school, and you, you can go to any college you want." And, you know, it was a, and again, still, you look it up. It's a very well respected uh, school to this day. But unfortunately, the schooling got cut short. So to to wrap up this story, uh, we get back we get back to Kansas City after you know we spent a couple months in in uh, Athens, and then we ended up in London, and. I could never get going in school because we kept moving and and I couldn't go to school and I'm I'm a junior in high school and so I I went to 4 days of being a junior in high school and so we get back to Kansas City I go back to Shawnee Mission East uh, thinking okay well you know I've missed a year of school I'm I'm going to be held back 
and talking to the school principal, and I tell him the story, what happened. <laughs> and he said, uh, Mike, I think you probably <laughs> learned more. You learned more going to Beirut than what you ever would have learned if you'd stayed here. Yeah. So I'm going to let you graduate with your class. And so I never had a junior year of high school. Oh, wow. What they did require, which was incredibly fair, I had to take one math class and one English class in, in uh, summer school, two of my strongest classes, too. <laughs> and uh, so I took, I took two summer Are you school being classes. No, I'm not okay. serious. I uh, particularly math. I, really? I, I, uh, I graduated with a math 000. So uh, <laughs> math was not my forte. <laughs> Uh, my forte part is the fact that, it, like at Shawnee Mission East, I was painting murals on the walls. I was very much uh -huh. into art, and so I, I got chosen to paint murals on the walls of the school. And so I would actually get out of math class to go paint, so that, that was heaven. But long and short, the cool thing was uh, this experience of going to Lebanon. Number one, it got me out of an entire year of high school, and, uh, and I got to graduate with my class. And what it also did is open my eyes up to the world and realized, wow, there's so much out there. What an amazing world this is. And I became interested in journalism, in broadcast journalism in particular. I wanted to be a, tele I wanted to be a TV correspondent. So I go to KU, and I'm studying journalism at KU, and I, I, uh, I end up being the, uh, the RA in McCollum Hall. A lot of people from know McCollum Hall. It was the international student dorm. Since I'd been in Beirut, I wanted to hang out around the international kids. So, so I, I, uh, I'm going to, to, you know, I'm living in McCollum Hall and, and watching every night, I'd come back to the, to the dormitory and I'd see the world news was on in the lobby of the dormitory and be like, such and such journalists kidnapped today, such and such journalists killed in Beirut and just on and on and on. I'm starting to think, Maybe my plan, <laughs> maybe it's not a very good plan, right. you know, this idea that I want to be a foreign correspondent. And so, funny story, I, I, my sister, who Susan, Susan Welford is her name, she's very much a big lover of Kansas City and still, still here in town, uh, she asked me if I would go to, if I would take her friends to a Comets game. And I'm thinking, okay, whatever, sure, I'll do it. I, you know, because I was into photography and all that. So I take Susan and her little groupie friends to a Comets game, and I'm standing there. I'm still in school, of course. You know, I'm doing this on a weeknight outside of school, KU, and I'm standing there with my little still camera. And this lady comes up and grabs me by the arm, and says, "Are you a professional photographer?" And I thought for a moment, and then I said, "Yes, I am." And she says. Oh, that's great because our, our team photographer is sick and couldn't show up. We don't have a photographer for tonight. How much film do you have? <laughs> well, the good news is I had a whole pocket full of film because <laughs> my groupie sister wanted all these shots okay. and taken with the team. So I had like eight rolls of film. <laughs> so on the spot, I get hired by the Comets <laughs> to shoot the game photos. <laughs> and, and I guess it went well because after it was over, they said, hey, you, you did a really nice job. Uh, how about we keep bringing you back? And so I end up being the staff photographer for the Kansas City Comets, and I'm still a KU. And then, note, not making this up in the least, several multiple games later, six, seven games later, I'm standing there with my still photography camera, and uh, this man comes up to me and says, So, 
professional photographer? I said, <laughs> I was just in this mood, and I said, you know, not really. I said, I'm actually interested in video, and I'm interested in video production. He said, well, that's funny, and he pulls out a card. He says, I'm a video producer here in Kansas City, No. and we're looking for an intern. <laughs> and boom, I get selected by this guy to be an intern. Who was he? Uh, it was Bill Pryor with MCC Video, which uh, later, you know, Bill Pryor worked for uh, Jim Steer. Jim Steer was the owner of MCC, which I ended up with Phil Steer forming Video Post Productions, which was Jim's, Jim's son, Phil, started this new company. So I get hired by MCC, and I'm the night editor, sitting there editing it, and I, I, I get a job with them. They hire me the day I'm out of college. What I, are you I editing? Have, Oh, I was editing industrial films. I remember coal mining films and all this crazy okay. stuff. And, uh, uh, and the funny, because it all leads to where my, my, my career went, is I'm editing at night. I'm on the night shift. I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole. But hey, I got a job straight out of college. Mm-hmm. I was thrilled. I think I was pulling down 9000 bucks a year. I, I had made it. I was, you know, this is 1980. Three, I think it was, about mm-hmm. 1983, 84, something like that. And I thought, oh, man, I've made it. I'm, I'm in the business. And this young man kept coming in at night and saying, hey, hey, I'm, I'm going to start my own company. I want you to join me. You, know, you don't, you don't want to stay here. You're too low on the totem pole. I go, hey, man, I just got to get this job done. I, I can't talk to you about it right now. Long and short, this is, this is the owner's son, Phil Steer. A week or two later, Mr. Steer calls me in his office, and he says, Hey, I just want to tell you, I'm really thinking about some major changes here, and my son is going to be starting his own video company, and you guys are really young. You might want to join him. So my boss is basically encouraging me to quit and to start a new entrepreneurial startup with his son, Phil. And I thought, well, that that probably is all I need to know is that my, my boss is encouraging me to leave the company. <laughs> I'm not fired, but I'm being encouraged to, to go off mm-hmm. on this new opportunity. That became the beginning then of video post productions. Uh, we we started, we laughed when we did it. We used to say we had a we had a camera, a tripod, and a Toyota Corolla. And we would pack gear in the in the car and we'd go off and do productions and actually early early on we did work for Fasoni Garrett mm-hmm. was one of our one of our clients you know Fasoni Garrett was a very robust which of course became Fasoni Partners was a very robust agency uh, at, at that time as it as it is still but uh the funny thing is the way we built the company is we got it we opened up the yellow pages and we just started calling every video production company in Kansas City and asking them, hey, do you have any work you don't want to do? Like, you know, we're just those little guys. And do you have any work? And believe it or not, they would send us work. Really? In particular, Paddock Productions. <laughs> Paddock sent us various jobs that they didn't want to do. And that gave us our feet. I mean, that mm-hmm. was the beginnings. <clears throat> and then again, back then, just... That's so what partly I want to talk about today. It's so different now is back then, the only way you could get new business is go shake someone's hand, call them on a physical phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no cell phones, mm-hmm. but to go to go pitch for people's business. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we would contact every ad agency and technical and uh, industrial company, et cetera, and other video companies. 
and we gradually built it. And uh, it ended up becoming a, then a, a video post productions, which then had an amazing run for about 17 years. Well, hold there for a second. Um, you were, it sounds like you were into visual arts before you got into video, let alone mm-hmm. photography. You said you were painting. Yes, so I, were, I always loved fine arts. Is that was more never never a career path, but just to this day something I just love is is fine arts and painting. Do you and still paint? Not nearly as much as I'd like to. Uh, it's such great therapy. I would love, love, love to do more. I don't have the time to and the discipline to do it consistently. What do you? Now. What did you paint? Uh, mainly oil oil paintings, mainly landscapes and. Kind of fantasy paintings, uh, all kind, all kinds of things. I actually spent in my educational career. I spent one year at the Kansas City Art Institute in their foundations program before I went to KU. Uh, so I, I to this day, I just have a huge passion for for fine art, and uh, which again obviously pays off when you get into the video business and the advertising business. Like you mentioned, it is a business that that uh, with artistic roots. So, um, I forgot my train of thought, Mike. Um, so you learned filmmaking then on the fly, on the job. Um, yes, it's fun. I'm glad you asked that. Actually, if you rewind before Beirut or any of that, when I was a little kid, uh, one of my best buddies, he's still my, one of my best buddies by far is Brett Bolton. And Brett became a premier animator in Kansas City. Well, he and I grew up together. Uh, we literally, to this day, he's still alive. We're both still alive in our 60s. Uh, we've known each other. We've known each other since we were two years old. Oh wow! Which is, um, I mean, it's almost like we have telepathy between each other. It's like we've known each other so long that we know each other so well. Uh, and it was cool as kids. We had this huge passion to make movies. And so when we were kids, we would take our little brownie wind-up 8-millimeter camera, and we would shoot movies. And we made all kinds of crazy movies. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and obviously that is why, because, you know, that whole passion that happened throughout my childhood leading up to high school. Um, so I was so excited. I was going to have a filmmaking class in Beirut. Like, oh, my God, this okay. is a dream. You know, this is a dream. I can't believe it. But kind of funny story is, uh, so you were making crazy little movies, a lot of monster movies. Like we made a film called The Unwanted Visitor where uh, my parents were actually going out for the night. So we took advantage of that. We're like, hey, can we film you guys leaving the house? And But can you carry this suitcase? Because uh-huh. we need a scene <laughs> of the parents leaving the house with the suitcase. And then we cut, we smash cut to down in the basement and there's a creature in the crawl space of the house. So that's the whole premise of this movie. And those were the kind of movies we were making. And we, we, uh, we made one movie. I can't remember the name of it now, but we got our cameras taken away because uh, we made <laughs> Brett's brother, Alan, we made him jump out of the second story window of the house for a scene. <laughs> and he sprained his ankle really bad. And we got in major trouble. They're like, you are not using your little brother as the stunt man. You're just not going to do that. <laughs> you were and, dedicated even back oh then. Oh <laughs> my God, we were so dedicated. And we, but we got our cameras taken away. We were, we were grounded for two weeks or whatever. No, no filmmaking. 
So grounded from filmmaking. So literally, I get you know, the point. I was thinking about bringing it today. We've got these old movie cameras sitting in our studio that the cameras we used to film with. Those we, in, we in still your, have them. Those are the ones you. Uh huh. Oh yeah, a little. Oh really? Uh, brownies and Bolex and all these different times. Mostly eight millimeter, but also some sixteen. And literally graduated to sixteen millimeter. Uh, and again, that's part of this whole story of how technology has changed. I mean, mm. back then, for Brad and I to make a movie with an 8mm camera, number one, the film reel would hold three minutes of film. That's how much you got. Mm. Three minutes. No audio. There's no audio. It's just it's picture only. And then you had to pull your film out of your camera carefully mm-hmm. or don't, don't expose it. Mm-hmm. And you would take your, your film at the time then down to Cat's Drugstore on Row. But which later became, I can't remember what that chain became, but it was basically the local, the, the drugstore. Uh, I think also Bruce Smith and uh, Prairie Village would pro- had processing too. You'd have to take your film in, take it to a drugstore, and you'd get your film back a week later. Mm-hmm. So you didn't even know what you had for a week. Mm-hmm. You, if, if you overexposed it or, you know, did you screw it up? You just, you just didn't know what you are going to get. And I always laugh about that because... You know, we, we were so passionate about it, and we did so many films. I still have reels and reels of old film sitting in our basement from when we were kids. And now these kids can pick up their iPhone mm. and make a world-class video with stereo audio and color correction <laughs> and all this amazing stuff, and you can make it as long as you want, and then you can post it on YouTube, mm. and millions of people can potentially see your, yeah. your film. It is... Such a different world. Yeah, we're all so. camera ready with an audience. Exactly. exactly. Was your sister, your sister's involved as an artist? Is uh-huh. she well, Susan, Susan was a producer at Video Post for, for quite a few years, and then later definitely was Isn't, isn't she Outpost. a painter? No, huh? She, okay, she's I made that She's up, a very yeah. good writer. I made that up. My, my dad was a painter, actually. He was a sculptor and painter. So, I mean, I think I got a lot of my inspiration. And an architect. And architect, yes. Jesus. He was kind what of did a, your mother do? Uh, she was an English teacher at... First at UMKC and then later at Shawnee Mission West, she taught English, and uh, which was very very helpful because she was a tough, a tough loving mother that would always make sure our our English writing sounded appropriate. So, <laughs> which truly to this day I really appreciate. I yeah. really appreciate it. But no, Susan ended up working at, at Outpost, and she was a producer with Outpost for quite a few years, and. Uh, and now, ironically, especially with what's going on with the Chiefs and, and the horrible thing with the Buffalo Bills, Susan works for uh, NFL Films. And she works uh, with, with her partner, uh, Tim Lamar, uh, doing audio at all the Chiefs games for NFL Films. Really? Yeah, super cool. They capture, they capture all that on-the-field audio that you hear. You know, like when you're hearing Mahomes, huh, huh, huh. With the shotgun that? mics? They don't do it that way anymore. The way they Those, do it is they embed, they embed wireless mics in the shoulder pads of the linemen. So, and I can't accurately tell you which it's not the center. You would think it'd be the center. It's not. I think it's the, the guard. But anyway, they have a couple microphones embedded in the players on the line. And that's how they're capturing the quarterback audio. They, really? They, they, they still use those 
those whatever you call those things on the side of the field, I can't remember the name. So then that's closely monitored, obviously, because that's picking up a lot of other audio. Oh, exactly. Well, it's funny you say that. Yes, this it is never fed out live ever. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. How could you? It's how could you? monitor that well that's how do you mitigate that that? is their job is they they record that but then that is for the purpose of how nfl wants to use it or also nfl feeds it to the networks and the networks choose whether or not to put it in so they got to be very careful so is there a delay then you're saying i don't know i mean i I, there must be some i don't know if there's a delay there's no delay in the game i don't believe i don't don't believe i mean there's a standard broadcast delay which is like what four or five seconds in case something awful happens and they need to cut the feed but i know i know from talking to susan and tim they're very sensitive to where that audio goes and what happens with that audio is that table too low for you no no it's great are you sure this is great yep all good um that's really really cool i didn't know that um I knew they had, like you said, the would you, would you do call uh, them? Yeah, parabolic yeah, microphones. Parabolic mics. And you still see you still those see, a little yeah, bit. You still but, see those. But yeah, the there's, it's a lot of wireless mics being used on the field. And so, of course, my sister being a huge Chiefs fan, she's, uh, she's in heaven because she gets to attend every single Chiefs game with the NFL Films hat on to, to, uh-huh. be, to be a literal part of the, of the production. So team. wait a minute. I'm, I'm Super curious. Is it one linebacker or two linebackers or multiples? Is it just one? Oh, person on the linemen. The linemen. They put it on on the, the offensive linemen. side. They have two microphones, and on the defensive or no, I'm sorry. They have they have two microphones on the offensive side of both teams. So they're capturing the sound on, from both. But, but on the same person, or on two different people. Yeah, two different people. Two different. I think people it's then. a guard and a tackle or something. I I can't tell you precisely, okay. but okay. I know that. Total, they're managing four microphones, you know, two for Chiefs and two for the opposing team, purely for the purpose of capturing those calls and capturing that in-the-moment sound down on the field. Interesting. Um, and you're the one who told me, and this is off-subject, but this is the point of this podcast. Uh-huh. And again, the point of this podcast is a lot of um, odd, interesting knowledge I have comes from spending hours and half days and full <laughs> days with pe- you yeah, specifically you. people uh-huh. like you sure. you know learning things like this and i think you were the one who told me if an nfl cameraman loses the ball yes, he absolutely. loses his job yes is it, that still true uh i don't know if it's still true but it was certainly true in the within the last decade a a very good friend his name's bob scott he's i think he's now maybe retired he was nfl film cameraman for the tampa bay bucks uh-huh. back in 20 20 years ago. I don't he did it for years and years. I don't know how long. He did it so long and back then of course they were shooting on 16 millimeter. Well, if you've ever held a 16 millimeter film camera, they're very heavy and it's quite a feat to just hold them for an extended period of time. So if you look at Bob, one shoulder's lower than the other shoulder. He is he has literally been distorted due mm-hmm. to holding a camera on his shoulder. Because he was the handheld camera guy on the field. And his job was, Bob, you film the ball the whole time. Don't ever lose the ball. And then they told him, they said, you lose the ball once and we'll give you a warning. You lose the ball twice and you're fired. Wow. And that's how he lived his career for 20 wow. years or whatever. Uh, of course, we know the world-class quality of NFL films. There's nothing better. Those shots of slow-mo shots of a ball spiraling through mm. the air and just super beautiful that's all because of guys that you know guys and gals that are just really good at what they're doing 
And, uh, and then they under, had to run up and down the field oh, with the yeah. players they, instead of having to drone on wire or whatever. Exactly. Tech oh, they're, they're using right now. Working their asses off. They had off. to be in shape. So like the way those, like those uh, 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 videographers on cops. Yeah. <laughs> and so so the cool thing is, you know, Bob is building an amazing career with NFL films. And so then he was a freelance DP, director of photography. He was a freelance cameraman that we would hire to work on bigger jobs for us. This was back in the, the day of video post. And I can't remember. I don't think ever at outpost days, but uh, we would hire him to be cameraman. For example, we used to do a ton of... Uh, film work for Jiffy Lube, Jiffy Lube mm-hmm. International. And we hired Bob as the cameraman. And I figured, who better than a guy that never loses <laughs> the ball, you know? So I never and, forgot that story. And to this day, when I watch football, you know, because they're, they're a lot better nowadays with sneaks and trick plays yeah. and whatnot, you do from time to time see the camera jerk a little bit. Uh-huh, okay, he, sure. He, he, the cameraman bought the fake as well. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but he, you know, I, I never forget that. And I always think... I wonder if he lost his job. <laughs> I wonder if he lost his job. Yeah. I wonder if he got no, fired. I never there's forget a, that. <laughs> there's a very high level of professionalism with NFL films. It has to be. I mean, and pe- people don't realize that back in, back in the day, of course, now it's all finally gone to HD, high definition. But back in the day when they're shooting film, NFL films was the largest user of 16 millimeter film on the planet. They use more 16 millimeter, 16 millimeter film than anybody. Wow. Because think about it. They're, do, they're documenting every game with multiple cameras. In every city. Every city, yeah, every week, year after year after year. They have archive of everything that's ever happened. You know? How many cameras, well, I swear we'll get back to video. Posts. Sure, you bet. How many cameras do you think they're using in a Chiefs, an average football game? You know, I think I asked him. I think it's at least... I want to say it's somewhere around ten or twelve, something like that. Yeah, it's not. It's not a. Cra- there, there may be a few more, but I think actually following the game, I think it's somewhere around ten or twelve. But don't don't hold me to it. it could, that seems low. Um, well, it depends on the game. Certainly, if it was a Super Bowl or playoffs, it probably doubles. Yeah. But just a regular weekly game. I guess that's. They're yeah, being. That's right. Covered with a lot of lot of cameras. You know, quite okay. a few cameras. So and of course now, just like our business. Everything shifted to video. You know, the, the days of film, the days of film are basically done. Now, of course, I would have some purists hang me up for saying that. Uh, but if you look at even, you know, big movie comes out, Avatar, uh, all this stuff these days, 98% of it's shot on HD these days. So it's, it's, a, new, it's a new world as far as the technology. Do you think that... Um you know, they have that overhead on the two-wire, the uh-huh. two-wire system yeah. with a camera that goes, can run, you know. Yes, uh, any axis. Do you think that um, bothers the players? You know, I don't know. And I why know. has the ball never hit that thing? I know. They've got to be so careful. I, I don't know. It must have sensors on it or something. The player, you know, the players have so much going on around them, I think they probably just zone it out because they've, there's a thousand other distractions yeah. as well, so... Being the pros that they are, they probably just zone it out. But uh, you right. know, so let's talk video post. When sure, you, you bet. S- when Actually, did you officially what? Go ahead. Well, outpost is what Vi- video post ended in nineteen. Unfortunately, my partner Phil. But when Steered, did it start? When did you? Start we started it? it in the in the mid eighties. Okay. We started video post in the mid eighties and had an amazing run. My current partners Rob Cecil and Sarah Stranod, 
They both worked at Video Post mm-hmm. too. That's how we all met. Mm-hmm. Video Post was a powerhouse. Yeah. I mean, it truly was. It for its time in Kansas City, to up till the day when Phil, you know, the principal owner, my partner, when he died. We had 35 employees. Yeah. There was nothing like video posts. That's a lot of employees in a video company in a, you know, Kansas City. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot of employees. And uh, he was just, he was an amazing, amazing businessman. He, absolute vision of how to do things. And what he was really, really smart about was, I remember it so well, as he, he'd always say, I want to hire a bunch of people that are smarter than me. And I don't want to tell them how to do anything. I just, he literally said, I just want them to make money. You know, just go out and do your job. Well, he stuck to what he said. He would hire really good people, and then he'd give them the freedom to just kick butt. And it worked. It truly worked. He was a very hands-off owner, hands-off manager, but very inspiring at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because I remember another thing he used to say all the time, and, and Outpost has lived by very similar uh, thoughts, is if you need to be managed, you're going to fail here. Because, to, and it's, it's true with, with Outpost too, we're not the greatest managers, we're good producers, we're good at, we're good at our craft, but we don't want to spend the time having to manage people. That sounds so, familiar. Yeah, so we That's tend to hire it. people that yeah. we know they're going to take care of the goods. We want everybody to treat it as if it's their own company, and and, and it works. It truly mm-hmm. works. So video posts went on uh, up until 19, or until right around 2000. Unfortunately, just totally tragic. You know, Phil Steer, the guy that barely drank and absolutely never smoked cigarettes, uh, liked to jog every day. He died of a massive heart attack. In fact, I think it was probably cardiac arrest. He died at the age of uh, 38. Oh, wow. And it was so shocking. I just did not see it coming. Jeez. Did not see it coming. And, and it was just such a shock. It was a shock to all our employees and to our clients and family. I mean, it was to this day, I miss him very, very much. I truly miss Phil. And uh, because of that... <laughs> Because when Phil and I started the company, we were both, you know, eager 23-year-olds that didn't know all the business nuances of owning a company. And we forgot about things like buy-sell agreements and key man insurance and all these things that you're supposed to have in case a a key player dies. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any of that. Mm -hmm. So long and short, here we are, what I'd have to say, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest production companies in Kansas City, uh, suddenly... We're in probate. We're the, the, the key owner of the company has died, and we got thrown into this legal mess to try to make it better. And unfortunately, that could be a multi-series discussion that we won't talk sure. about today. But uh, because of what that happened, in fact, I was assigned as president of the company and uh, dealing with probate and all this. I thought, oh, my God, this is insane. I, I went to... I went to art school and I went to KU to study journalism and I want to travel around the world and all of a sudden I'm having to deal with with business stuff mm. that was way out of my league. So long and short, um, the demise, the ultimate demise of video posts was, was due to some new owners that, not for any bad reasons it just it failed it it actually it got caught up in the dot-com crash of the early 2000s and because the new owners were heavily tied into the dot-com world 
uh, it resulted in the closure of video post. Uh, from that, Sarah, Rob, and Mike walked away from, from uh, video post to start the company that we have to this day, Outpost Worldwide. So behind the scenes, there's kind of a funny term when you say outpost, because it's like, <laughs> we're out of here, and we're starting this new company called Outpost. The other reason it's ironic is I live out in the country. Our first thought, we had this crazy thought that never went anywhere, was uh, we're, we're calling it Outpost. Our original idea is we were going to bring the production to the client. Like, hey, we'll pack up and just bring an edit suite to the client. Or we'll... Or I lived on a farm. Hey, we'll put an edit suite in the barn. Fun in theory. And you know, it sounds great in theory. It's all romantic. And then I remember my sister saying, Mike, that's the dumbest idea. Nobody, nobody's going to come out to your farm to do editing. And nobody wants you to pull up with an edit suite. And I said, OK, well, we like the name. So we'll keep the name, but we'll have a legitimate facility. So here we are, man. Our time time flies. Truly, it's 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 incredible. And you guys all stayed in your roles. You stayed as a cameraman, correct? camera editor, yeah, producer. You uh -huh. edited, I, I think, started out as an editor. Yeah, I started as an and editor. Then Rob, yeah, Rob's audio. an audio expert, and then Sarah's a producer. producer. Absolutely, and we're all producers in a sense. Right. You know, we all you know we all. A funny uh, phrase from a client is, uh, "What's the difference between a producer and a grip? A client." So if you have a client, if you have a client, you're a producer. If you don't have a client, you're a grip. So there, there's some truth to it. Sometimes. There's some truth to it. But anyway, the the cool thing is here we're sitting here now, and you know, fast forward to today, and Alpos is a very robust company, still going strong. We're 20, 20 years right at about. We started in 2002, right after 9/11, and we are still going strong. Uh, and based down in the crossroads. And it's just been an incredible journey. Uh, and, and, you know, our name now, our name is Outpost Worldwide. And there's, there's reason for that. And what, what's kind of cool, a little feather in our cap, is we have produced video of some sort. We have done a job on six continents. The only continent we haven't been to is Antarctica. But we've done work everywhere else in the world. So we thought, well, shoot, that's cool. Why don't we, we'll just call it Outpost Worldwide. That, that's a good name. It sounds good. And so, but there's, there's legitimacy to the name. There is. Uh, I, I want to spend a lot more time on that. Uh -huh. But let me first um, get to your Crossroads location. Because you sure. were in Lenexa. Yep, we started in Lenexa. Street, uh -huh. And then you moved to the cross. You couldn't have moved to the Crossroads at a better time. Yes, you we did. You were like... If someone, it's like someone tipped you off. Mm -hmm. Buy this building, yeah, <laughs> or you know, get this location in yeah. this area because you were what two, three years right before the crossroads exploded. It feels feels like yes, Street exactly. Car, I mean, we everything. got down there pretty the early. East side ex exactly, exactly. We uh, we started out. We did lease it first, and then uh, and then our partner Sarah helped spearhead buying a building. We're very grateful to her as a partner, uh, and she helped. She helped get us into our home that we're in now. And uh, talk about it. How many suites do you have? You know, uh, we have a I mean, facility. It's kind of cool. We have we have two two literal edit suites, but then literally every station you sit down at is a potential edit suite. Mm -hmm. It's all tied together with what's called a, a shared media server, a video server. Uh, again, to put it in perspective, it's kind of wild. Is 
The, the video server at Outpost is, is about 70 terabytes, which is 70,000 gigabytes, and it's always full. And it's always a challenge to manage that server. Wow. You would think, like, oh, that's plenty, that's plenty. No, you would be amazed mm -hmm. how fast you fill it up. But the neat thing is the whole, comp the whole company and the audio suite and the, and the animation, everything's all tied through this server. And that is such a game changer, such a cool way to, to do business as a video company because you can sit down at any station and access a project. And so it's, it's a really, really cool thing. And um, ironically, I mean, we, yes, of course we have clients come to our facility, but we have done work with so many clients that literally never came to the facility. They, they were either based in L.A. or based in sense, Branson, Missouri. or Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just cool how over a period of time the diversity of, of clientele from literally all over the world, all kinds of stuff. It's, and, and, I, and I don't want to paint the wrong picture. We're, we're a small business for sure, but we're, we're a small business with a, with a big track record. You know, we've had a we've had a lot of success, a lot of you know, thanks to absolutely to companies like Fasonian Partners. Absolutely. I mean You guys have been a great partner for oh, us. Oh, thank you. And it goes clear back to when is Fasoni Garrett and Larry Garrett and right. Michael Fasoni, your father, right. and and Janet Bame. Mm -hmm. And that throughout the right. years we've worked with uh Fasonian Partners. Something I always thought was cool being an independent production company is a huge advantage is we get to see how everybody else runs their companies. Mm -hmm. You know, how do agencies yep. do things? How do companies do things? So we get to, kind of like what you guys do, yeah. we get to learn a little bit about a lot of different mm -hmm. A lot companies. of different industries. Yeah, a lot of industries. And I just, I love that part of it. You know, I we had uh, Jim McCullough on here from Ignition uh -huh. FX, sure, you know. Sure, And he said one of his colleagues, and I'm going to paraphrase, said that he, he's not a trained doctor, Blah blah blah. But if someone had a, car, a heart attack, yeah, he's watched enough institutional videos and edited <laughs> them and worked on them. Oh, that's funny. And done the animation on them sure. to know what to do to address it and fix it. Anyway. Exactly, that's funny. Um, but you know, you've been an amazing partner, and I was very, you know, when I started in advertising, was uh, sort of the peak in the denouement of, of video posts. Uh huh. Yeah. I was so impressed by the facility. Yeah. You know, yeah. with the gym and the jacuzzi and yeah. the. It was just beautiful, and it was flashy, and it was cool, and mm -hmm. you know, and you guys were so good and amazing at what you did. Um, it just made it all very sexy and appealing for me. You know, I was just a PA at the time, mm -hmm. and I always told myself, if when I get the chance, um, I'm going to do a lot more work with these guys. Oh, that's awesome! And so it's been a really big honor to do just that. Um, thank you. No, thank you. Let's talk about working around the world. Sure, you bet. Because that sounds like you fun. Bet. Oh, yeah. Amazing experience. Um, flying equipment. Uh, customs. Yeah. I mean, you know, because you're not traveling with ordinary gear. No. You're traveling with some no. stuff that prior to 2000 and, uh, let's just say prior to 9-11, yeah. 2001, um, was probably a lot easier. I imagine post-2001, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, on the other hand, though, the problem, as we all know with technology, is everything's gotten smaller. True. But still, when you get into professional equipment, it's not small. I mean, you've got cases upon cases. It's not unusual if we have an international shoot that we, we might have 8, 10, 12 cases 
that need to be shipped, you know, th- to go with this. And probably have to uh, plan that pretty carefully. Absolutely, because so they're all critical. If you your equipment's not there, and exactly. In fact, a very funny story is I, I went to it was such a is you, know, you have a handful of jobs in your life that just like are uh, ones you won't forget, and and one I won't forget is working with Don Williams, the country music star. Uh, in fact, he was a country music superstar. He had this song, Living on Tulsa Time, and I Believe in You, and all these incredible uh, top hit songs. We, we got to go with Don to film a concert in Africa, in, in Zimbabwe. And we land in Harare. This is, this is later, too. This is like 20, 2010, something like that. We land in Harare, and it's my first time to Africa, so I'm in shell shock just being there. And we're in the we're in the airport in customs with Don, and we got all our equipment. And the customs people say, "Oh, oh, Don." They knew who he was. They're like, "Mr. Williams, you may go, but this equipment must stay. We must we must run the equipment through quarantine." I'm thinking, in other words, I'm never going to see our equipment again. They're getting you. Know, it's like. What's quarantine for our equipment? <laughs> and so they're telling us that we have to leave the equipment in the airport and that it will be delivered to our hotel. I'm thinking, there's sure no will. way. <laughs> and so I sit down on the camera case and I say to the customs, I'm in a foreign country. You know, I don't end up in jail, but I'm sitting on a camera case. And I say, I'm sorry, sir, but this camera is my life. If I, if I can't keep, take this camera out of the airport... I need to stay here with the camera. I'm staying with the camera. And they're getting a little upset with what I'm saying until Mr. Williams, Don Williams, he sits down right next to me. And he says to the customs, he says, I brought the boy to Africa. I'll take the boy home from Africa. (laughs) He says, if he says he needs his equipment, he needs his equipment. And long and short, all of a sudden, like, oh, we are so sorry, Mr. Williams. Yes, please, this way. And yes, all, and all our equipment Isn't that got, funny? To go, got to go with us. We leave the airport. So what then happens, unfortunately, in the whole hullabaloo of what went on at the airport, it turns out we were missing a critical piece of equipment, which oh. was our tripod. We didn't have a tripod. And, you know, we're shooting a concert the next day, or not the next day, a couple days later. So anyway, so so for the next couple days, I'm shooting handheld because I don't have a tripod, and and because we're really we're not we're not doing like a big music show. We're doing a documentary for Don Williams, mm-hmm. so that's why we're there. We're going to film some music shows definitely, but it's more behind the scenes and images of Africa and all, a super awesome experience. And so, a couple days later, we're filming Don at a press conference in Harare. And like, you know, they're introducing like the president of the country to Don Williams and all that. It was a big deal. And the journalists were asking, Don, so Mr. Williams, how has your trip been? And he says, well, everybody's been great. It's been a really great trip, except our cameraman lost his tripod. And his tripod never made it out of the airport. And we're really, it's really frustrating because we have our concert tomorrow and we don't have our tripod. Literally get out of this get out of this uh, press meeting, go back to the hotel. I open the door to my hotel room, and there's the tripod. <laughs> Lo and behold, the tripod made it back to the room, 
And That's funny. Everything was fine. We got to film the concert, and everything was fine. Uh, a side story that's hilarious is when we went with Don Williams uh, into the local market of Harare in Zimbabwe. You know, Harare's the capital of Zimbabwe. And we go into the local market, and the taxi driver, the driver, saying, Oh, Mr. Williams, everybody has your music here. Everybody loves you. He says, Let me show you. We go into the market, and we see, and there's Don Williams CDs everywhere, all over the place. And Don says, Funny thing. I've never sold any music in Africa before. It was 100% bootleg. <laughs> all bootleg. And instead of getting all pissed off, this, this is why he's such a class guy. Instead of getting pissed off, he was honored. He says, I am so honored. Here's a country, here's a continent that I've never performed in. And you guys are bootlegging my music left and right. Mm -hmm. He says, I am honored. And I just thought it was such a classy way to handle it. Instead of getting upset or whatever, he just, sure. he just went with the flow. And uh, so that, that's, that's one of those international journeys that I'll never forget. It was an amazing experience. And then also, and that, that was through Outpost. That was Outpost uh, production. Um, an organization here in Kansas City, very near and dear to my heart, is, is uh, Children International. And children, they're out on Red Bridge Road. They, they help, they're a children's relief organization with a focus on education and the basic necessities that a child needs to make it in this world. And we had so many life impacting shoots with them. Uh, I couldn't even count on two hands all the places we went, but just to give you an idea, we went to the West Bank of, in Israel, you went to the West Bank. We filmed in Bethlehem, we filmed in Jerusalem. We went to uh, the Philippines numerous times. We went to Colombia. We went to Honduras. We went to Ecuador. We went to Mexico. And on it, and ones I'm forgetting right now, uh, filming children's relief commercials, basically mm -hmm. just like Save the Children, right. that kind of thing. Um, which, interestingly, you don't see those commercials on TV anymore. I, I don't know what, I don't know if it's the cost of media buys or what, but that genre of commercials has really dropped off. But at that time, uh, Sarah, Sarah too, and Rob, all three of us, went on numerous Children National, really, I'd like to call them adventures, uh, on Children National trips. And we'd like to say, yeah, we're getting to film in all the, the best slums of the world, you know, seeing, mm. but, ah, oh, such an, a game changer to meet these little kids that live in a, pardon my French, a shithole, but they... They have such a positive attitude. Some of the most positive people I've ever met are these people that live in these slums. And we're talking about, like, for example, we filmed a family in Guadalajara, Mexico, which this is hard to even fathom. The mother made $15 a week. That was her pay, $15 a week to make bricks. And they were a brick-making family. And <clears throat> we asked her, well, what's your, what's your goal in life? What do you want to have happen? She says, my goal is... I want my children to be the first generation in our family to not make bricks. Hmm. Everybody had made bricks. Wow. She wanted her family, her children, to go beyond that, which I pray, I hope they did. They probably did with Children International's help. I'm sure they did, because I know to give you an idea, they don't just hand out money. They hand out money in the form of care. Um, that family received thousands of dollars of care from Children International, which would be the equivalent of multiple years mm -hmm. of a salary. How long would you be there? 
Um, usually those trips were a week, a week typically. Okay. Um, and and eight, including travel time. Uh, you, you know, no, you're right. No, with travel, more like eight, eight days, okay. eight nine okay. days. Um, incredible experiences. One one that wasn't quite so incredible, but certainly worth talking about is. I was on a trip with Children International. Rob and Sarah were not on this particular trip. I was on a trip in South America in Ecuador, and Chris Van, who you may or may not know, yeah. he's a cameraman in Kansas City, he was on this trip as well. He used to work at Video Post. Yeah, exactly. He worked at Video Post. Well, well unfortunately, uh, we, we were filming at a clinic, at a hospital, and filming little poor kids and all this. Everything's going great. We break for lunch, and we go have lunch with the, the clients, and um, we had left all the equipment at the clinic, and we break away to go eat lunch. And this is in a big city. It's called Guayaquil, Guayaquil, Ecuador. It's actually the embarkation point if you want to go to the Galapagos. If you want to go to the Galapagos, you go to Guayaquil and then catch a boat or a plane from Guayaquil. So it's a big, busy, industrial-type city in Ecuador, and, of course, quite a poor city. But interestingly, we'd always stay in nice hotels, and I understood why. They're like, you know, we're not going to take you down here to live in a hellhole while you're trying to, you know, you got to be on your game to get the job done. So we'd stay in decent hotels, you know, nothing crazy, but decent hotels. Well, so we're returning from lunch after a lunch in Guayaquil, and we have an Ecuadorian driver, and there's eight of us, eight or nine of us in this minivan, Uh, another, a gal from... uh, Missy Hodge, I don't know what Missy's last name is these days, but Missy was also in the uh, car. She was with the agency Smith Advertising, and she was in the vehicle as well. And this little taxi driver keeps trying to pass our van, like trying to cut us off. And our driver was getting really pissed off, and our driver's like yelling out the window. And all of a sudden, this little Fiat taxi pulls right in front of our van, slams on the brakes, all four doors open, four men with guns, huge, looked huge at the time. Four men jump out of the car with guns pointed at our van, and our driver's like, oh my God. And he's trying to put it in reverse, and we look behind us, guess what? There's another car behind us with at least three more guns. We are surrounded. We're being attacked in the middle of the day. It'd be like you're driving down Broadway and you get attacked at three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Is it was surreal. The experience was just surreal, and ended up that uh, they're like "Donde la plata, donde la plata," which is slang for "Where's the silver?" Well, what it means is "Where's the wealth? Where's the money?" Donde mm-hmm. la plata, because they're like, where's your stuff? You know, and they were so upset because we didn't have any cases with us. They're all at a clinic. So we didn't have anything. So they start taking purses and backpacks and they wanted my shoes. It's like, I wear size 12. These don't fit anybody down here. They wanted my shoes. And, and so it was just this freaky experience. And then it got really bad quickly. Missy is sitting right next to me and she's a really pretty American girl. And they start dragging, they start pulling on Missy. And I'm sitting next to her, and I'm thinking, this, this can't happen, this, this can't happen, no, nobody's leaving this van, no, nobody's leaving this van. So I put my arms around poor Missy, and I'm playing tug of war, and I'm not kidding, playing tug of war oh with these God. terrorists that were trying to drag her out of the vehicle. So she's screaming hysterically for very good reason. 
I'm screaming in English at these guys to stop the F, what the F, you know, just, and they're screaming at me in Spanish that I'm a really stupid guy. And I honestly thought at that point that we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill us. And so long and short, probably the, the, maybe the smartest and the dumbest thing I've ever done is it, I just come to the conclusion they're going to kill us because the, the guy had a gun on my head. And I thought, we're, di- we're done. And so just not even with thinking about it, I grabbed the barrel of his gun with my hand. I grabbed the barrel of his gun, and I pushed it down in the van. I pushed it down, and he fired it. And it, and it landed right next to Missy. It hit the floorboard of the van. And I realized, oh, my God, you know, it could have so easily hit Missy or any one of us. He fired the gun. And at that point, this whole robbery started to unravel. It just started to fall apart. This other gunman comes up to me, and this is a funny story, but it's true. Is the other gunman comes up to me, and he starts in Spanish, stupidio, stupidio. And he starts beating me in the head with his handgun. And these are big guns. I, I, I'm not a big, I don't know what kind of guns they were. 357s or 45s, they were big guns. He starts beating me in the head with his gun. And the irony of this story is, at that moment I thought, we're going to live. Because he's just going to beat the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. We're going to live. Mm-hmm. And instead of, because he could have walked up and just started shooting. Mm-hmm. So, bam, 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 hits me on the head, beats me up. And then all of a sudden, it just unravels. They all, they just leave. And they, they leave, these, these gunmen leave. And here we are in this van that's been torn apart. Our stuff is laying all over the street. We're, all the women are screaming and crying in our group and the men are you know, on the verge of getting sick. And it, it was just such a trippy experience. And this little old Ecuadorian lady that couldn't speak a lick of English, she comes up and grabs us and runs us down an alleyway and hides us in her house. And, and we're hiding in this lady's house. Chris Fan and I are looking for our escape route. Like, okay, what's going to happen next? Where are we going? We're in the middle of a foreign country. This is insane. Oh, it was insane. It's the, it's the closest I've come to. How many to. people were you with? I was with Chris, Missy, um, three or four people from Chile. All Kansas City people. Chris uh, could fight, I bet. Pardon? I bet Chris could fight. Oh, he could, but he was terrified, as, as all of us were, because we were, we, we were not only outgunned, they had the only guns. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, we, we, we get hidden in this little house and proceed to wait for the cops to show up. 45 minutes. Took forever for the police to get there. And so the end of the story is we get a military escort. The, the police show up and the military shows up. Our car, they had to hotwire our car because the, the robbers had taken the keys. And again, it's like our shit spread all over the street. And so we get taken back to the hotel, and they're concerned about me because I'd been hit in the head a few times. Uh-huh. And uh, they said, we want Michael to see a doctor. You know, the Children International people said, Michael needs to see a doctor. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, we'll bring a doctor to the hotel. So we're sitting in the lobby of the hotel, actually in the bar of the hotel, and doctor comes and checks me out, checks out my head and checks out my hand because my hand got hit a few times, but I was more concerned about my head. And, uh, and then the doctor ends up saying, you know, I think you're okay, but just to help with your nerves, 
you can either have this, and he holds up a bottle of pills. He says, you can either have this or you can drink. <laughs> and I said, well, I know what's in the bottle, right. so I'm going to drink. And I proceeded to get drunk. <laughs> I got drunk and didn't, didn't take the pills. And, uh, and the, the funny end of this story is the only time I ever had a nightmare about that experience was that night. I had a nightmare in my hotel room. The funny part is I had my hotel room. I had, cause our equipment never got stolen. Cause it was at the, it was at the clinic. Uh-huh. So our, our equipment got brought back to the hotel. I had all the equipment piled up against my door, like eight feet deep, like this huge pile of equipment. So you couldn't get in my room if you wanted to. We had to. to be terrified. Oh, I was so scared. And I piled up all the equipment and then I'm laying in bed thinking, God, I hope the hotel didn't catch on fire. Cause <laughs> I won't be able to get out of this place. And that night I had, it's hilarious, that night I had a dream that it happened in Branson, Missouri. Because we did a lot of video work in Branson. And my whole dream was that we got attacked at gunpoint in Branson, which is the last place on the planet you're going to get attacked by gunpoint. Is, 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 you know, Branson's probably one of the safest towns in America. And that was my dream is that, that this all happened in Branson. And in my dream I run around telling people, don't go to Branson. Don't go to Branson. <laughs> it is too, it is too dangerous. Just don't go to Branson. And uh, the 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 funny part of that whole thing was, so when we we I survived my nightmare and woke up the next morning and we had to head to the airport. We're done. You know, it's like shoots off. They had stolen our footage. Because I had a backpack. I always carry footage with me. I'm very paranoid about losing footage. In fact, that production, that is the only time I've lost the footage. They stole my backpack, which had our footage in it, beta, beta, digital beta tapes. So we never got our footage back. The, uh, the, the, I don't know who did it, the government or the children asked somebody. They put, in, they put an article in the newspaper when they came to get us, to take us to the airport. They showed us the front page of the Guayaquil Times. And it, in Spanish, it basically said, shame on Ecuador. We robbed our friends from America who are trying to help the poor. Shame on us. Shame on us. Oh, wow. And, and it was so touching. We get to the airport, and here's like, I don't want to exaggerate, but 50 mothers are there from the barrio, from the slum, to give us a hug and tell us they were sorry. Really? Yes. The mothers came to the airport to say sorry to us for what had happened. Well, that one took you in and, right away. Oh, yeah. And that so, lady I mean, didn't even know us. She, she couldn't speak one word of English. And she took us in like we called her. She was a garden angel. She was an angel. And uh, it was so touching that here, here's all these poor mothers there to tell us we are so sorry what happened. And I remember I'd, I'd said, there's a reward for the footage. We'll put up a, you know, $500. Yeah, of it. I mean, Never. I'm sure it ended up in a dumpster. That's a know, whole other trip. The, the footage. Exactly. And so then here's the funny end to all that. So that happened in Ecuador. So then uh, I was shell-shocked. I couldn't go out of the country for a little while. I, I was a little on edge. I, I, I wasn't ready to go back to a third world type country right away. And Children International was fantastic. They were so, so helpful with everything and very concerned about her well-being. I think uh, Missy got some counseling, very well needed. That poor girl got played tug-of-war with. 
Um, I did not get any counseling. Or maybe I should have, but I didn't. I just didn't think I needed. It. I thought the bit, the drinking worked fine. Yeah. You know, so. Um, but but the funny thing is, when it's all said and done, Children National tells us, you know what? Based on what's happening, we're not going to take you guys to to Ecuador anymore. Uh, moving forward, all the shoots will be in Colombia. We're like, oh. I feel so much better now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, we're going to go to Colombia, the one that they make all the movies about. And so, and again, ironically, we did. We went to multiple shoots in Colombia and never had an issue. We also had armed guards at that point. After what happened to us, we didn't go anywhere without literally armed guards. And in those countries, that doesn't mean a guy with a pistol on his hip. It's, it's guys with machine Would guns. Would you uh, hate to bring business into this, but would you have to pay for that? Or would the client pay for that? Um, you know, the client, again, they were so wonderful. They, they made good on paying us for our time. We, you know, every, everybody was shocked by what happened, but they covered the expenses. They yeah. They paid for the expenses of what happened. That'd be expensive. Yeah. And they were, they were, you know, they felt terrible and that certainly wasn't their fault. No, they didn't cause it. Of course not. And again, I, to this day, I mean, my wife and I, uh, and maybe not now, I think we finally cut it down, but we sponsored like 13 kids through Children National oh, wow. to help kids because they're such an awesome organization. And uh, Sarah, the same Sarah has a tribe of kids that she sponsors through Children National. And that's all due to our experience of filming with them. Mm -hmm. And one other side story, because this really tell you a lot. Uh, one of the most touching things was being on a children's national shoot. Again, this happened to be in, in Ecuador. Uh, and it's the middle of the day. It's a real hot summer day or hot day. Of course, it's always hot in the tropics. And this mother has her daughter sitting on a car tire with a plywood table. And she's teaching her kid math. And there's no other kids around because all the kids are in school. But this little girl's not in school, and mom is sitting in the shade under this stilt house teaching her kid math. And we're like, I, I go to the social worker. I didn't speak great Spanish, but I knew enough to ask a few things. And I talked to the social worker. I said, why is she not in school? Like, why is she being taught here? She says, let me find out. So she goes and talks to the mother, and she comes back, and she says, I can't remember what the little girl's name was now, but she said, she doesn't exist. I said, what? What do you mean she doesn't exist? And she said, when she was born, the family was so poor, they couldn't pay for a birth certificate. And if you don't have a birth certificate, you can't go to school because God. you don't exist. Jesus. Literally. And this, this is a recurring theme around the world, I, I will vouch, that this still happens. These countries, so take Ecuador, probably I'll hear from Ecuador, they'll be furious with me. But take Ecuador, for example, and they say, we have 85% literacy, except for the 30% that don't exist. It is a scam that happens in these slums, in these third world areas, that they don't put the families on the record, and so they get no, they get no support. They don't exist. That still it's, happens today? Absolutely. I don't know how, and I'm not saying it's happening in Ecuador. I, I don't right, want to right, say right. that. But is it happening today? I would bet $100 it's still happening. So this little girl doesn't exist. I asked the social worker, how much is a birth certificate? $20. 
So I, I, hand, I hand the social worker a $20 bill. I said, please get this girl a birth certificate. So go home from this trip and about two weeks later, I get a photo in the mail. She's got on a school uniform with a backpack and her school books in her hands. She got her birth certificate and she gets to go to school. Feels good, doesn't it? And we ended up sponsoring that little girl. It's terrible. I can't remember her first name right now, but we ended up sponsoring that little girl for the next 10 years. That's awesome. And, uh, but that's how Children International is changing lives for these kids. Hmm. Crazy things like that, you know, that you wouldn't, you would, it, it, that we can't even fathom mm-hmm. that. $20 could change yeah, someone's $20 life. Yeah, $20 literally yeah. life-changing. So, uh, that... So again, back to you know crazy international trips. That's 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 uh, one of them for sure. The uh, one other to share quickly that that uh, had a huge impact on my career. Had a huge impact on the whole trajectory of the future of, of my career in, in video post and outpost was. I had a client back in 1990 say, "Hey, Mike, we're going to take you guys." And in this case, it was Chris Fan again. Chris Fan and I, we're going to take your crew. To Rome, we're gonna pay. We're gonna pay you twenty thousand bucks. We're gonna take you to Rome. You're gonna film with these guys, and it's gonna change the future of your company. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds great. Sign me up. What are we doing? And they said you're gonna work for London Records, and you're gonna film at the three tenor concert in Rome, behind the scenes footage of Pavarotti, Placido Domingo, and Jose Carreras. And that's what we did. We were the behind the scenes documentarians oh, wow. to hang out with the three tenors. One, probably, literally, if you look it up, probably one of the biggest music events ever was the three tenor concert in Rome in 1990. Chris hired you? No, no. It was a, at that time, it was video post. Chris was on the crew. Oh, Chris oh, was on the crew. The person that hired us was an ad, uh, a PR guy, okay. a good friend to this day, a good friend, but a PR guy out of uh, Washington, D.C. But he hit it on the head. It's like, we go to Rome, we shoot this incredible event, we get paid to do it, we come home, we make all kinds of videos, and it, it, just, it was just a game changer. And in the day I get home, I'm, I'm asleep in bed, I'm totally jet lagged, and the phone rings, and it's the noon edition at KCTV5, and they're like, hey, we understand you were just at the three tenor concert, can you come down and talk to us? I'm like, sure, of course I'm, Jet lagged is crazy. Go down and talk to them. And then next thing you know, hey, it's the Kansas City Star. We heard you were just... And what this man said is exactly what happened. We got so much press from that one event that it was kind of a catalyst. It was a, a game changer for us. Really? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And, and from that, we did all kinds of musical work. And, and, and just, again, just an unforgettable experience, you know, to... The, the nice thing about the gig was uh, as soon as the concert started, we were done. We, they said, when the concert starts, you put the cameras down and enjoy the concert. Because we, oh. we didn't have the rights to film the concert. Just behind, so, just backstage. Just all the behind the scenes, but it was spectacular. It was just, it was such a, you know, we hung out with the London Records audio engineers and uh, seeing how they'd mic up and prepare to shoot a, a symphony with world-class tenors, you know, three mm-hmm. world-class singers plus a full symphony. I remember to this day, it's a rule, a rule of recording opera is zero EQ, no EQ, not during or after. 
The whole purpose of how to film it is as clean and straight up as you can. So all the knobs are center, everything's center. There's no EQ. There's no, oh, we'll go in and mix this for a month. Absolutely not. It was all done by microphone placement, all of it. So wait a minute, when they filmed that concert, there was no mixer in the middle of the... There was uh, a mixer, there was a mixer only for the... Yeah, the the only reason for the mixer was huge. It was a 64-channel input or whatever. There were 62 microphones on the stage. And the only purpose for, for the mixer was to get all the microphone feeds into a recorder. The recorder, which I'll not say the name exactly right, but it was a Mitsubishi multi-track recorder. It was the size of a washing machine. It was a, it was a 32, again, the technology's changed so much, but it was a 32-track recorder, and they were running three or four of those because they were recording redundant copies, too. You know, they, were, they, they got the bass recording, and then they got redundancy uh-huh. happening. No EQ, zero EQ. he just EQ. had to plug in and push... Pl- Power yeah, they, well, they'd anything. spend they'd spend a week on mic placement. They'd spend a week on testing and listening and getting everything right. And then once they got it right, boom, record it, and it's pure. It's because like you said, you don't edit your podcast. Mm-hmm. Same thing. If you're recording world class opera, you don't you don't EQ opera. There's no EQ. Isn't it the reason why they put the EQ in the middle right there? Because that's where the audio he can hear the audio best. So he or she they know how to. EQ the audio for the audience. Yeah, yeah, and the point is they're not adding they're not adding any treble, they're right. not adding any bass, they're just keeping everything centered. Right. Everything's centered just as clean as they can get it. Now when I say there's no mixing, that's not totally true. What the mixing would be is how loud do you want each of these channels of microphones to be? But that's it. Mm-hmm. No EQ. You know, no no changing the tone, just Loudness. It's like a chef almost. You don't exactly. season the chef's Exa- food. Or, exactly. You know, a That's five-star a... chef, you dare tell him yeah, how don't... to cook your food. He's yeah. going to come out and stab you. No A1 sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Ketchup, yeah. No, Whatever. you, you totally... That's a very good you analogy. Don't, you that, don't that, do that. That's the analogy. They're, they're purist. Mm-hmm. These guys are purist. So it was just that's such an awesome experience. You know, just awesome. And uh, I could go on. No, no, I know. And stories and are amazing. We, have, we had a... We had a run-in, I think, with you guys. I wasn't there. I think it was uh, Janet Bain. Uh-huh. And I think it was Outpost. Maybe it was Video Post. We were location scouting. It was Fasoni. It might have been Fasoni Partners or Fasoni and Garrett. Regardless, my father mm-hmm. sure. uh, still had the agency at that time. And they were location scouting for the ATA, the Area Transit Authority, uh-huh. the Metro, the bus, uh-huh. when we had that account. And, you know, we're in a wide Econoline van with blinds driving around the federal building downtown. Mm-hmm. Mm. But we were just looking for locations. And as, a, <laughs> as a story goes, they get surrounded by oh three or four unca- you know, uh, unmarked cop cars sure. with guns drawn. Sure. Saying, we've been watching you guys for three hours oh circle this block. Gosh. I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. You would think that we were oh, that's case funny. in the joint. But Absolutely. Looking at different things. You know? But anyway. That's wild. I can, I can um, see that. I want to, I can't top your story. I mean, I'm not trying to top your story, Mike, but I mean, it's going to be very hard to get to be as exciting as that last uh-huh. story you told. But I want to bring it back, though, to what you do day to day, which that is what you do day to day. But anyway, you talked earlier about how it can be physically demanding. And I've worked with you on enough shoots 
I wonder, and I'm being sincere, I wonder every time I shoot with you, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> you know, it's... Almost, I mean, some days, you, some weeks, you're probably doing it five days a week, holding uh, that camera on your yeah, shoulder. Yeah. I mean, how do you do it? Well, I mean, I, I do have an issue that my, my partners, particularly Rob, has encouraged me to, to uh, work on this, is sometimes it's hard to let go. You know, in other words, I have a huge passion for I don't know anything about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Is you need to hand you need to hand off to the young guns to the new which believe me there's plenty of super good young camera. How do you keep your body though from handling you know, that? Do you I exercise? Think, do you work out? I, I do exercise a little bit, but honestly, I think it's the fact that I've maintained a very active career has kept me healthy. Do you have to? Sw- and I'm not kidding. Do you have to switch shoulders and hands? No, you can't because you have to keep it on your right shoulder because of where all the controls are. It'll, it'll, it'll wear you out a bit. It, it will wear you out a bit. But again, uh, it's a passion. I just love it. And, and honestly, these days, I'm, like I said, I'm trying to use the young guys more. Mm-hmm. And when I say guys, that includes girls for sure. One of our top uh, shooters right now is a young lady from UMKC who does a fantastic job. Really? She's about to graduate, and she's a bona fide videographer who is she uh emily eason her name is emily eason and she she interned with our company and then which is often how we find talent Mm -hmm. we we have internships but basically we're mining for talent Mm -hmm. and uh from that experience we got to know her and we started hiring her to help on shoots and again the other benefit these days in general is the cameras have gotten a lot smaller they're starting to get smaller um but for years, even if yes. it's half the size, yeah, on your shoulder, let's just say it's five hours a day. Yeah, yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a lot. It 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 it, it can be, but it's it's. I don't know. It's just a, It's funny. I the thing I'd say too. I tell I tell young camera people this all the time. I said, don't don't try to control this camera with your arms. Don't don't try to hold it with your arms. Set it on your shoulder, and move it with your be body. the camera. Be the exactly. Move it with your torso. And then you're taking all, you're, you're distributing all that weight down through your body. Do you teach? Just interns, interns. I have a passion to teach, actually. I'd love to teach in, in, when I retire. I'd love to, to teach, but, um, but we do teach interns. You know, we do, do teach with interns. You know, the funny thing I, I wanted to share with you, too, just regarding the business uh, that's that's such a big change is because I think kids these days they take this technology for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 63 years old, so I'm not even retired. But the amount of change in the industry is monumental. I brought here's an example. I brought I brought a VHS tape of a show called Lights Camera Branson. Mm-hmm. We made this 20 plus years ago. The reason the reason for having this VHS tape, which you'll know in your business too. 20 plus years ago, if you had a video and you wanted 50,000 people to see it, you needed to get 50,000 VHS copies of your video. Now you want people to see it. Now you want 2 million people to see it. Mm-hmm. Put it on YouTube. Put it on Vimeo. Post it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. The cost of duplication. Duplication is a buggy whip. Duplication got destroyed Mm -hmm. in other words the business the business of making copies went away yeah but a funny story behind this 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 video that i'm showing you is is called lights camera branson it was a promotional video that we did for the city of branson for the gm credit card 
if you signed up for a credit card, they gave you a free video. And the video's got Andy Williams and Glenn <laughs> Campbell and <laughs> Charlie Pride. And I keep it because it was the single largest job in my career, actually. But, uh, you know, we, we filmed this neat little video that was really, really fun to make down in Branson, Missouri. Willie Ames was our host on the, on the video from Eight is Enough. And we made this little video that the, the fee on making the video was like 20 grand. It wasn't a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it wasn't small, but it wasn't a lot of money. It was like a $20,000 video. Then they said, hey, um, can you guys make the dubs? And we said, sure, you know, the copies. And we said, sure, how many do you need? They said, well, we don't know for sure how many we're gonna need, but why don't we start with 10,000? And we said, okay, that sounds really great. We'll mm-hmm. make you 10,000 copies. Well, back then, and the, what are we talking about now, like 1990s, yeah, uh-huh. early 90s, uh-huh. a VHS dub to our client, you know, charged to mm-hmm. the client was two bucks. Mm-hmm. It was two bucks for a dub. So you make 10,000 of them, yeah. $20,000. Good day. We just doubled our money. Mm-hmm. We made the project for 20 grand, but we made $20,000 worth of dubs. Guess what? They started ordering 10,000 dubs a week. And they kept ordering dubs oh, and wow. kept ordering dubs. We were driving box trucks <laughs> to Branson of this video. We're, we're sending box trucks of dubs. <laughs> End of the story, 800,000 copies of this video. Oh, my God. At two bucks a piece. Good job. <laughs> yeah. So that video, wow. that, that $20,000 video became a $1.6 million job. Good job. Yeah. Man. So then fast forward to today, no. you want to do the exact same thing. There goes that money. Yeah. There's no money. There's no, right. it's gone. Right. There, there's, and, and honestly, it sunk some companies. It sunk well, a lot of companies. It, it of threw us on our head. I mean, the world of duplication went away. Mm-hmm. It went away. And my partner, Phil Steer at Video Post, that was his baby. Duplication was it. That was the way... It was like, yeah, it's great to make videos, but the way to really make money was to make copies of the videos. Okay, okay. Give you another perfect example. We used to do all the video duplication for Hallmark cards. So every time Hallmark wants to send out a training video on how to tie a bow or how to wrap a package or how to run your store, you know, to all the independent Mm -hmm. stores, they would have to order, I think at that time, it was was usually about 7,000 copies each time. But they'd do it constantly. They'd order 7,000, 7,000, 7,000. And just uh, Teva Marion, another one, a pharmaceutical company, they have to send out a patient information video. Mm-hmm. They'd end up ordering hundreds of thousands of copies. And so the funny thing is your base production, you know, that, right. that has its fee, but the real revenue was in the duplication. And that's gone. Over, that, that, over the, in, in like a course of a year or two, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Quickly. think about it now. I mean, what do you see now? You know, we, we made the transition to DVD, but honestly, DVD didn't stick around very long. Mm-mm. Now you can go to Walmart and buy DVDs out of the bin. You know, oh, movies mm-hmm. for five bucks. I mean, I don't need, you know, I work in the business and I don't have a functional DVD player at home. Yeah, Because I, right, I right. watch Netflix right. and I watch Amazon Prime. And, right. And it's, it's just been turned on its head. And kids these days don't realize, say kids, adults, mm-hmm. this isn't like, this isn't change that happened in 50 years. This is change that happened in less than 25 years. It's like watching a plant grow and or something. To, it's weird, really weird. To give, to give you an example, which is just amazing, when we started Video Post in the mid-1980s, because this will put it in perspective, there was no FedEx, 
FedEx did not exist. If you wanted to get a package to another city overnight, you had to counter to counter it from the airport. You had to drive your package to the airport and send it counter to counter. I'm sure Fasoni Garrett sent plenty of stuff counter to counter in the day. Mm -hmm. So number one, no, no overnight services. Number two, no cell phones. Mm -hmm. No cell phones at all. Get even wilder. And again, we're not, I'm still in business. I'm not talking about this is my great grandfather. Right. Right. This, I'm still in business and this is the change I've seen. No, no cell phones, no, no, no PC computers when we started. Mm -hmm. we, saw, we bought the first PC computer we ever saw. It was an IBM AT. We bought it to do animation, and it was like a suitcase. It was a desktop computer, but it was the size of a suitcase, and we had to pay 6000 bucks for this thing, and it was a dog. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in hindsight, it couldn't do anything. It was crazy. And so just keep going down the list, yeah. all these way, all these changes that have occurred. I remember when it, I started in advertising, there was render times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, you, what's a render? It renders in real time. Back yeah. then, it, you'd set it to render. Yeah. I'm talking 15 away. seconds, yeah. maybe 10 seconds, yeah. maybe five seconds if it had a lot of graphics and layers. Yeah. You'd set it to render, and you would leave for the night yeah. and come back in the morning mm -hmm. and hope three and things. hope it looks good. One, it finished. Yeah. Two, it finished and didn't glitch. Mm -hmm. Three, it didn't crash. Yep. And you have to start the whole thing over again. Exactly. And sometimes you would sit and wait 20 or 30 minutes for the render so you could watch three seconds of video. Yeah. And then I remember Metro Productions. It was a big deal because it was on the front page of the newspaper. And Thanks City. for listening to the Flame Little Agency That Roars yep. podcast. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on FasoniPartners.com under podcast. Be sure to subscribe, be sure to like, and leave a review. If you want to submit an interview or submit yourself for an interview, please email Roar at FasoniPartners.com. That's R-O-A-R at fasonipartners.com. <laughs> that was yeah. the thing. Thanks. Right? All right, you guys come in, sit down. Yeah. Now, here you go. We're going to hit the button. You hit return, yeah. and it's going to render. It'd be like watching the That's color wheel today on your Mac, you know, exactly. or whatever. It's like, yeah. but here we are just watching it like, ooh, the yeah. future. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what I brought to show you today, so here, here's, here's the technology of the mid-'80s. This is a big, a big open reel, open reel, metal reel the size of the size of your head that was two inch video it was called quad video there was in the mid again not that long ago there was no there was no digital anything right it was it was analog video and it was two inch wide tape and this is what you had to drag around with a giant machine to go shoot it and they were expensive the Oh yeah, it was super you know, expensive. For what my father would tell me because my oh, father yeah. shot a lot on film. Absolutely. Um, he also and worked early outside video. of the commercial industry. He worked yeah. in movies. Yeah. And he would always remind me, you know, it used to be precious. You didn't yes. just hit play. Oh yeah. Because hitting play could cost you sixty yeah. bucks if you didn't. Yeah. You know. No, and then the big the big technology change was this two inch reel went to one inch, Ooh. and it's like wow, the world has changed. Now it's one inch. And that's where I started my career, leaving KU. This is where it was all at. Now, there's no tape. There's no, I mean, everything's digital. It's solid state. Like we said, you don't need copies. You don't need dubs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it is, and it's also very exciting because the ability to do business now 
technically is so much easier than it used to be. But what I will say as a person who's you know, been in the, the career, had a career for the last 30 plus years, what I don't like about the modern age, I don't know how many people agree, but now it's like, hey, did you get my email? Hey, did you get my text? Everybody's got to be on nonstop all the time. Did you hear, did you, yeah. have you replied to my email? Yeah. Where it used to be to do business, you know, even for your career and mm -hmm. definitely your father's career, you go and shake hands and you talk to people in person mm -hmm. and you would make a call with an actual telephone. Yep. <laughs> Nothing against cell phones are phenomenal technology, phenomenal. No, I have to remind but, new employees, younger employees, and nothing against the, the age. Uh huh. Do not be afraid to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. You're not bothering that person. Exactly. That person wants you to call <clears> them <throat> because they want the quickest. They don't want yeah. to be. To, you know, yeah. my clients, uh, they're business owners usually. Yeah. Sometimes, and if not, they're marketing managers, and they're busy. So they don't I, want to go back. I think what's happened to a lot of folks. I'll just speak for the business that we're all in: production and agency work. Is Everybody, unless you manage it really well, everybody's tapped out. You you just, you get so inundated with communication as opposed to oh. it used to be. It used to be you work on the job that's in front of you and nothing else mattered well, because they can't get a hold of you. You don't have email. There was no email. There was no internet. But now it's constant, constant communication. I'm fortunate that I don't, run or work at a company like that. Good. Um, how do you manage, how do you manage that? I'm sure you get inundated with plenty of Well, let me say like stuff. this. Tim was on the podcast, uh, Tim English, mm -hmm. sitting here to my mm -hmm. right, who you know very well. Sure. Uh, his podcast actually went up yesterday. And Tim, I'm going to let you say it because you kind of said it best. We were on Christmas break for approximately 10 days, give or take. Mm -hmm. We close our mm -hmm. office between Christmas and New Year's, just like you guys do, I think. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Tim said it was kind of nice to come back because he could come back here and relax. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm you know, you, you, you get so caught up in everything you do outside of, you know, the office that sometimes it's just good to come back and get back into that sure. that routine. Mm -hmm. I could see how, I guess, I, where I'm, I could see how at a bigger agency, or a bigger company, when you're held to a timesheet mm -hmm. or when your manager is blocking out your schedule so they can mm -hmm. make sure that the salary they're paying you, they're getting back in terms of billable hours mm -hmm. or whatever that case may be. Um, you know, in TV, radio, they call it bed checks. Mm -hmm. Your manager used to walk, you know, walk, do the watch the cubicles to make sure you're sitting there. And <laughs> they call them bed right, checks. Gotcha. You know? Nowadays, most of our industry is at home, mm -hmm. slowly coming back mm -hmm. in some form or another. Mm -hmm. um, but and it's like maybe something you said earlier. You, you give people the, 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 the ability to do what they want, and you can prevent that burnout, I guess, is where sure. I was going with that. Sure. So I could see we're at a larger corporation <clears throat> where you're held to 40 billable hours a week, yeah. which means if you don't take a lunch and you work 8 to 5, that's 40. Mm -hmm. Versus here, well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what's your structure? <laughs> what's our structure here? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we get a lot of work done, but, you know. We, we get a ton of work yeah. done. That's not... That's beside the point. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the manner in which we get it done. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. is there burnout? Of course there is. You know, is your does yeah, Mike want your shoulder hurt from, of course it does, but <laughs> you can take that right. break. You know, you, right. you, you know, the cues, you know. 
Yeah, it's just the fact, and again, I mean, it's like nothing that's going to change anyway. It's only going to get more intense is that the whole world is so wired in now that everybody expects very quick replies to everything. Yeah. And, it, and it's just, I think it just becomes a, a it, management thing of it, how, to, it, how to deal with it. It also, very Mike, it, it makes it a very, and we're getting off subject, I'm getting, but it doesn't matter. It also makes it a very me-centric, focused world. Yep, I would the say The world so. revolves around yep. me. Because yep. my phone tells me it does. My yep. computer tells me it does. My tablet Your tells me it does. Your social media tells you it does. I tell me it does. Exactly. It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you said that. Okay, so now tell me this. Educate me, myself, because mm-hmm. I'll learn a little bit right here, I think. And the audience will definitely learn, learn a lot. So tell me the difference, because you have different cameras. Mm-hmm. Sure. Just like we talked about guns and, <clears throat> and, and arsenals and earlier, yeah, absolutely. all right? Sure. So if you're going to go, like we talked, you know, yep. you're going to go hunting. What type of game are you hunting for? You bring right. the appropriate. Right. You have cameras for certain looks, styles, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Explain to someone listening who isn't in our industry why this thing, I'm holding up my mm-hmm. iPhone. Sure. Isn't is a world away from what you have. No, absolutely. And what there's, makes your t- cameras different uh-huh. than... Because there's different production values. Absolutely. There's people that shoot commercials for hundreds of dollars, and there's people that shoot them for hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And you can kind of hit everything because you have different absolutely. equipment. Help no, I totally get it. And the and the answer's complex, but it's I also... But, there's, but it's pretty straightforward at the same time, is that um, there's cameras that are literally the same as a Panavision movie camera. In other words, the, the film cameras that made every fantastic movie out of Hollywood, Panavision was king. Panavision is what big movies were made on. There's cameras at that caliber right now. We have one that's close. I won't say it's exactly the same, but the LT that we used to shoot at Olathe Ford, you could absolutely shoot a movie with that camera. That camera is cinema quality camera. Uh, that type of camera keeps getting more and more and more complex these days and better and better and better. Uh, mainly in how it handles color, how it handles light. It's the just the, the clarity and the quality of the image and it becomes a true technical art. What's use. the name of that camera? The one we have is the a Panasonic LT. The LT. But like big, big, like the, it is not the state of the art thing right now. The state of the art right now would be like a, a an Airy, a Airy video camera, Aeroflex, which used to make movie cameras. Now they make some really amazing uh, video cameras. Black Magic, you probably heard of them. Black Magic makes a lot of, which we have a lot of Black Magic cameras. They make a wide variety of Isn't types. Isn't that more on the economical end? Yeah, what's happened is, which is really cool, two things have happened. If you're, if you're out shooting national spots on a regular basis, and that, that's what you're doing, you're making national spots, you're still going to have a $100,000 plus video camera to do it. And the big difference too, very, very important to point out, is a lot of times the glass, the lens you put on the camera can be more expensive than the camera. The lenses are critical. That's where your iPhone, even though incredible piece of technology, does not have the glass that a high-end professional camera would have. What's if the glass it did, doing? 
it is it is creating number one again it's just picture clarity and quality there's no distortion there's it's just so good you know and i say all this i gotta eat my words because actually what's going on with these cameras right now these phones Mm -hmm. people are making films with their phones and they are running businesses with their phones but but the devil the devil's in the details it's like how do you get great audio? You know, you've got to feed audio into that camera. There's so well, they're many... using attachments. You're not it, just using the phone. Exactly. Let's, be, let's so get that clear. Exactly. So, but yeah, you see pictures. You can buy all this support equipment mm-hmm. for your phone if you want to use an iPhone to do professional video. In the big picture, it's not the best approach to take. I mean, for again, for a whole multitude of reasons, storage was one, you know, just the digital storage. But like what can't companies like Blackmagic have done They've got low-end cameras that are incredibly high quality. Again, we have some of them where the body of the camera is only a couple thousand bucks, but then by the time we trick it out with all the peripheral equipment, it might be an eight or $10,000 package for just that camera. And so the, it, it's so funny because it's, it's, there's so many levels still within camera technology. But, uh, and you hit it on the head, the cameras are tools. I mean, it's have, what's the best camera for the job? There's certain cameras you wouldn't want to lug them around all day because they're too heavy, et cetera, et cetera. So you'd want to use a smaller, more compact camera. But as far as quality, the quality these days is phenomenal. But also something very, very important to point out that a lot of people don't understand or realize, the real art in the business is color correction. It's like after you shoot and you take that footage into an edit suite and you color correct the footage, you, you, make, you make it look the way you want it to look. That, that is where, I mean, literally there's people in town, that's all they do. And audio. Is, yeah. You said good audio in the very uh, and beginning. Good audio, absolutely. But color correction, you know, color is critical. Good audio is critical. But again, the whole, the whole industry, there's just, there's skills and talents across the board. I mean, lighting, lighting is fantastic. If you have a fantastic camera, but you're, you light it poorly, it's going to look poor. Right. It's not going to look good. Um, you can't just go out and say, Hey, well, I think there's plenty of light right here. Let's just shoot. It just doesn't, it doesn't turn out right. It just doesn't. It's funny. All those commercials you see on TV that look when, when the viewer watches them and they look insanely simple, there's so much production behind it to get it to look insanely simple mm-hmm. that it's not the same as if you just popped up a camera and started shooting. And that's why the difference between, we talk about constantly as a video production company, there's video production companies and then there's hundreds of other people with a laptop and a camera that are not, you know, be like, it's like agencies. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. there's agencies and then there's individuals. And let me say it a different way and sell for you, sell for Outpost worldwide. There's production companies who people like me, uh, Fasonian partners hire, who really just kind of point and shoot. Mm -hmm. You give them the script, Mm -hmm. you're there to direct them anyway. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who, yeah, they're going to point and shoot because that's what they're there to do. Mm -hmm. But they're also going to work 45 minutes longer than they need to. 
They're going to give you ideas. Mm -hmm. They're going to be receptive to something different than yeah. other than was planned. Yeah. They're going to bring, I don't know, sometimes 50%, 90%, 10% more to the table. And that's what you guys do. Awesome. Thank that's you. what you do specifically. Mm -hmm. You never stop. Uh, you'll go until it's more than perfect. Mm -hmm. You're a perfectionist. Um, you don't take those breaks. Not if you see that shot that you can get. <laughs> right. You know? Um, and, and that's what, what, what makes it so great to work with you. Oh, well, thank because, you. Uh, you know, I've, I, I learned early on when you're on set, it should be a, it should be a, a, a democracy. I hate to use that uh -huh. word because it sounds like political. Sure, but it's, but it's not. It just it, when you're on set, it should be everybody should be involved. Mm -hmm. um, Tim should have an you know Tim should have some input. Quinn should have some input. You should mm -hmm. have some input. Obviously, yeah, I have input. Sure, absolutely, but. Um, you know, and that's what I love. Mike, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. What do you think about, mm -hmm. what should this shot be? It's yeah. not all about me. Yeah. Um, no, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning is absolutely a team sport. I mean, it, it, to, you get the to best do it product right, that it, way. absolutely. It's, it's to get the best product. And again, like, like I said earlier too, is it's, which people sometimes don't really, it is a profession. I mean, it's, there is a, it's a, there's an art it, to it. Yeah. To, I mean, I've worked with... It's the same as not doing your own advertising. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a reason to hire advertising experts. Yeah, right. There's a reason. And... Uh, so let me ask you this. How do you keep yourself fresh? Do you have sites that you visit? Do you watch things? Or is it just, you know, uh, personally, I have an internal clock that's never stopping and that's what keeps me moving. Mm -hmm. um, but I still look for inspiration in other areas. Mm -hmm. Do you do you look somewhere for inspiration? Uh, yes. Ironically, unlike, you know, and you probably do the same thing, I'm less attracted to the actual shows on commercial television and more attracted to the commercials. Yeah. I like to see yeah. how commercials are being done. Same. I think commercials are a fantastic form of communication mm -hmm. to be able to get a point across or to try to influence somebody in 15 seconds the right way or 30 seconds mm -hmm. that is cool mm -hmm. and the way I keep myself fresh honestly I think this is one of those businesses as long as you have your health I think you could do this business for a long long time because and I tell interns this all the time every day is a new challenge I mean, we shoot at Olathe Ford, and sometimes we have a different challenge the next time we shoot at Olathe oh, Ford. Yeah. You would think, yeah. oh, everything will be exactly the same because it's no. the same space, it's the same town. No. No. No, guess what? Today, it's cloudy and raining outside, and we don't want that to be portrayed in the shot, or whatever it happens to be. It's, it's number one, just maintaining that passion about what you're doing, but... I'd say I, I get huge inspiration by just watching commercials. And I also get huge inspiration. I love watching movies, in particular mm -hmm. Netflix. What the, are you watching right now? Oh, what are you I, on something right now? No, I'm trying to think. What did it? We just finished. Uh, gosh, I'm drawing a total mental blank. The. Um, uh, oh, well, it's funny. It's a little off subject, but the, the show Pinocchio, I don't know if you've seen the I the don't like Pinocchio. that style of animation. Oh, I, I do not like that style. Technically, of, it's incredible. I though. don't I don't like that. And then uh, I believe you. Though. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like uh, I can't remember the names of the series, but 
there's so many very, very well-constructed uh, TV series. You know, just What's the last that. movie you saw that really floored you? Probably working too much, not going to the movies. Um, <laughs> well, it could be on TV. I mean, Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Amazon. Uh, I just watched Matilda, which was a really great little film. It's a bizarre, yeah. funny film. It was on Netflix. It was a great film. Uh, a big fan of Avatar. I can't. I haven't seen the new one. I want to see Avatar. I just the the technical quality of those mm-hmm. are spectacular. Um, I love all that because I realize I, I like seeing big movies. I like the big big the the new Top Gun. I thought that was a really great movie. The I haven't seen one. that. Is it good? Uh huh. I thought it was great. The the thing I love about them is is that we know we know what goes into doing that. How much incredible amount of work it is mm-hmm. to pull that sort of thing off. It's just phenomenal. And so I, I get such a respect of you know seeing seeing big mm-hmm. films like that. So I recently had a conversation with someone and uh, we were talking. I'm gonna edit myself. <laughs> this is the one of the perils of not editing. Uh-huh. Uh, we were talking in um, let me just ask the question, mm-hmm. Michael. Do, do you have a touchstone? What it, why would love to know what is your touchstone in life? And I had never heard that word used that way before in terms of a grounding tool. Mm-hmm. Um, this yes. person was referring to that word to me, talking to me, and he, he, he used the word touchstone. And it stuck with me. This was about, it's been about six months because mm-hmm. I never heard someone use that word. And would love to know what is Mike Wunsch's touchstone? Yes, and it's funny because it, uh, <clears throat> it almost sounds like the exact opposite of what I do for a career, but I've turned it into part of our career, is I have a huge desire to see the planet, to travel as much as possible and see this planet. I think heaven and hell are right here. It's what you end up making of it. The, there's so much to see on planet Earth. It's so funny. I'm not a big fan of the space program. So weird. Because I don't feel like we ought to go yuck up another planet. Mm-hmm. I feel we ought to stay here and take care of this one. We already live on the, the one that's paradise. This planet is paradise. Just look at the, di- the, the biodiversity of this planet. So I'm a huge believer and fan, and I practice what I preach, of taking care of the planet. I live on a 17-acre organic farm. And you have a bee <clears throat> farm, don't you? Uh, we raise bees. We raise herbs. <clears throat> right now, legal herbs. But we raise, we raise herbs. We, we sell medicinal herbs at a farmer's market in Lawrence, Kansas. And I try to practice what we preach. So does Outpost. We big on recycling, big on taking care of <clears throat> you know, excuse me, of how we use our resources. It's, it's just critical. And for too long, the world has, excuse me one minute, <clears throat> for too long, the world has taken advantage of resources. And now all you have to do is turn on TV and listen about it. We're all paying for it. With whether, you know, regardless of what you believe, the one thing I don't like is how environmental issues become political. I don't feel it should be a political issue. It should be an issue of taking care of our world. Mm-hmm. So the reason I say it's turned into a, a business thing is we have a show 
that's super proud of. It's called My World 2 with a T-O-O, My World 2. And it's a show about sustainability and earth-friendly practices, how to take care of the world. We've done 18 episodes, and they've been picked up by national PBS. We've aired in hundreds of cities. The funny thing is we've done this cool, cool production. We haven't raised a nickel yet, but we have, we have definitely made the baby. You know, we've made the product, and we're going to continue to work on that product. How long have you been doing this? Uh, about two years. It's, it's a passion project for the company uh, because we all do have a like-minded belief in sustainability, taking care of the environment. Hmm. And, and not only, I want to be clear, too, not only environmental sustainability, but social sustainability. You know, given everybody should get a shot in this world, at a good life. And so that's why I'm a personally a huge believer in, yes, I want to help teach interns or I want to, you know, go help an inner city kid, let an inner city kid get his hands on a camera and see what it's like. And cause they may Changes never life. Get, yeah, they never get exposed to that. And so that would be my touchstone is that this, the earth, this is the place to be. I'm not worried about where I'm going to be in the afterlife, I'm worried about what's happening here now. And there's, it's fantastic. And that's why, honestly, if everything I've told you, I couldn't have picked a better career because I get to spend my life recording life. Just all these different things that people do. We get a little taste of so many different things, medical things, industrial, uh, political, entertainment you know we got we filmed with dick van dyke that was a another unforgettable experience hanging out with dick van dyke at his house in la and just just the fact that you know what i'd say my touchstone i'm to tune it in a little more i always tell kids and i sincerely believe this i've had so many people through my life tell me you are so lucky and i'm very quick to say you are absolutely right I am very lucky, but you make your luck. The reason I'm sitting here talking to you is when my sister asked if I'd film her and her groupie friends at the Comets game, I said yes. Mm -hmm. And that you don't get lucky by hanging out at home. And I think the analogy these days is you don't get lucky by hanging out on your laptop. Nope. You have to go do physical things. You have to experience life. So go to concerts, go travel, go to sporting events. Go, just go and do things. There's too many people that are starting to live a cyber, cyber experience. Mm -hmm. not, not to pick on the technology. It's spectacular. But there's nothing better than just the day-to-day -day actual experiences. And that's what's so neat about the video production business. And you guys are in a similar boat is we get to be exposed to so many different things that, you know, there's a, there's a quote from Shakespeare that if, if, a, if a person is, is tired of London, they're tired of life. And I'd say the same thing in terms of production and video production and filmmaking and all that. If you're tired of production, you're probably tired of life. And so that's why I can carry a camera or want to, hey, one more take. You know, let's get five more, one more takes. Uh, you just don't want to, you, you, you just got to keep cranking, you know? And, uh, and, and so that's what I, I tell my kids and I tell interns, 
It's like, make your luck. We, one of the coolest documentaries we did was the life story of Henry Block. And I remember Henry saying, first thing he said when we started filming, he's like, I don't know why anybody would want to know my story. I'm like, well, Henry, people might want to know your story. Started H&R Block with 5,000 bucks. The day he walked away, it was worth six billion. Mm-hmm. So it went from 5,000 to six billion. Pretty, pretty incredible. And what he said, which has stuck with me always, is he says he's a huge believer in luck, and the harder he works, the luckier he is. <laughs> and, and, but there's a truth to that. Mm-hmm. And meaning because work doesn't have to be connotated to mean it's a hassle or, oh, I don't want to work because that makes me tired. Work is exposure. It's an opportunity to learn something and see something. And so I'm a huge, huge fan of Henry Block and what he said that, you know, big believer in luck. Because And it's a recurring thing with a lot of people that become highly financially successful. Most of them will tell you they were lucky, but they busted their ass to be lucky. It just, it doesn't, luck doesn't fall on your lap. No, it doesn't. You have to be good to be lucky and you have to be lucky to be good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and eyes wide open, you know, just, but it's, it's a blast. I mean, I, I, of course I want to retire in the next, I don't know when, but I'd love to retire in the future and just grow herbal herbs and travel the world. But the funny thing is right now I'm getting to do that and work. So it's like, why give it up? (laughs) I want to keep going. Are you looking at slowing down? Eh, not, not really. Not, not right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think one thing that you can very much relate to is running a small business is an everyday adventure. I mean, it is always a challenge. The part that can get wearing is financial challenges are tough for any small business, but you just got to keep doing it. You just keep doing it and things work out. That was another thing Henry Block said. He said, I get up every morning, I put my shoes on and I go to work and things just work out. When it doesn't work out is when you stop. And the funny thing, one reason I'm not sure I want to retire, I hear too many stories about a guy that retires, you know, six months later he dies. Right, yeah. I think I'll just keep working. I just don't see, this is me personally, I just don't see what I do as, um, let me say, I see it as something that I have to do. Uh Uh-huh, sure. And I I want to, excuse me, I want to do it. Let me just say it real simple. I don't know what else I would be doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. If, if I wasn't doing this, yeah, it's your passion. I don't, then I don't need to be in this city. I don't yeah. need to be. I don't need yeah. to be a lot of things. Yeah. If I'm not doing this. No, for sure. And you know what? I think you can say the same thing that I'm about to say. So I'm I'm 63 years old. I started in this business. I was lucky enough to start a company when I was 23. That's when we started Video Post. Wow. I was 23 years old. I have never worked for an outside corporation, or ever worked for a larger company or been assigned a cubicle, never has happened. But in this run of my career with Outpost, most of my career now, of course, was with Outpost, we have worked for tons of Fortune 500s, tons of fantastic agencies and companies, and it's just such a joy to get to see how everybody does it. But the fact that we've been in charge of our own destiny since the beginning that's pretty cool. It's, it's cool. It just, it makes you, it, it, it gives you a lot of satisfaction. That's unique. 
Yeah, no, it'll, it'll make you tired, but you just <laughs> oh, yeah. you just keep doing it. And you know, one of the things you, you keep repeating is that you know all the different things we learn because we touch so many different industries yeah. and geographies, etc. That's one of the main reasons that we wanted to start this podcast. Uh huh. I love it. We come across all of these people, and that's there's a 15 second pre record at the beginning of each episode. If you've listened to one, yeah. it says you know it's a place for beautiful and talented people, and that's all of us. Mm-hmm. And people. I, I solicit some people to come on the show, and sometimes they say, well, I don't have anything that you do. Oh, absolutely. They, they, Everybody there's, does. There's, there's people walking by my building right now on, uh, mm-hmm. on Pennsylvania Avenue here in Westport mm-hmm. who have amazing stories. Oh, for sure. That we'll never hear. Yeah. You know, let alone, no, I totally let alone icons like yourself who own blue chip companies who work on blue chip brands and have been around for, you know, yeah. decades and decades. Um, you know, and I think that everyone should be able to have access to these types of stories uh-huh. and these types of Absolutely. experiences because if that kid in the It'll inner city who someone. can't get his hand on the camera, yeah. maybe he can come across this yeah. podcast episode yeah. because it's free and yeah. he can listen to it or she or they or whatever and can listen to the episode and then get some, some buy-in that way yeah. because it's going to be less tactile. Yeah. You know, um, did you ever see the Ann Leibowitz documentary, Life Through a Lens? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It, she talked about she spent so much time traveling mm-hmm. in a car. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, yeah, right. The window right. of a car. The frame. The fr- exactly. Yeah, the she spent frame. so much time uh-huh. looking through a frame, mm-hmm. the backseat of that window, that rear window. I think it's called Life Through a Lens. Mm-hmm. That's how she vid- pictured the world. And I've heard you say that wow, a few times cool. in this yeah. conversation. Uh-huh. You said, you know moving around the way you're viewing the world, it's almost like you're viewing it through your, uh-huh. through your LT finder. Yeah. yeah. I highly encourage people to travel because, and not, I'm not talking about go, you know, go hang out in an inclusive resort, which nothing wrong with that, right. but that's, but, but to go literally make yourself uncomfortable, maybe. Yeah. Like right now at our home, we have a foreign exchange student living with us from Thailand. Okay. And she's going to school in Kansas to learn English. And then she shows us pictures of where she lives in Thailand. It's like, why are you here? Because you live in paradise. I mean, where she's from is just gorgeous, mm-hmm. gorgeous. But, but the point is, it's that. It's getting out and experiencing the planet. Probably why our name, Alpo's Worldwide. We worked on six continents. We, we absolutely have an inherent curiosity and an inherent passion to see and experience as much as we can. And what a cool career then to get paid to record it, Yeah, to just record it. And so it's, again, as long as you have your health, there's no, there's no getting bored. No. There's no, there's no getting bored. <laughs> there's no boring in our industry. Uh-uh. No, no. <laughs> Just varying degrees of excitement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, you throw in deadlines and client expectations and all that's all, that's all good. That's just part of the deal. So. Well, is there anything uh, that you're currently working on that you want people to know about? Yeah, I'd say what I mentioned briefly is our, our TV series, My World 2, which actually you can see, we have 18 episodes at pbs.org. It got, it got picked up by almost 300 stations. So it's a big, for, for, so, a, for but, a self-funded passion project, it has gotten a lot of coverage. But uh, it's streaming on pbs.org? Yeah, it's at pbs.org or at myworld2.com is the other place. Oh, you have your own. On a website for it. That is a absolute, we've met with the state of Kansas. They're highly, they're seriously looking at it as possible underwriting. Because the difference from making programming for public television is 
instead of calling them sponsors, you're looking for underwriters. Right. Because it's non-commercial television. Right, like my KCR copy. Yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, I commend you guys. I hear, you know, I hear shout-outs all the time to to. Well, hopefully they're agency. talking about the podcast. That would be great. Well, that's yeah. what the message should be. Oh, good. I haven't heard lately. Maybe they are. That's great. If they're not, I need to go ask oh, Kelsey when we finish to make sure our traffic's right. Yeah. But um, no, I think you're doing something really cool in the fact that uh, that's what I find out with these young kids. Here, here's the problem. We all live our lives. I go through this all the time. We all live our lives, and we're too in our own cocoon of thinking, first of all, we don't want to share enough. And, and like, for example, helping interns, it takes time and it takes sharing expertise I'm a huge believer that each generation needs to pass it forward. We have to pass it forward. And that's why we're a great country. We're a great country because of all this incredible progress that we've made as a nation. And if suddenly we get so into our own little world that we don't share it with others, that's, that's a bummer. You know, I mean, I like what you're talking about. Just the fact some kid can hear something from somebody else's life experience and it, it could be the catalyst. I remember several years back at, at Outpost, we had a boys and girls club of inner city kids, little, little kids, probably average man, 10 to 13 years old. They come in, they come into Outpost they got a day trip to Outpost, and it's a Saturday. And you could tell when they come in, they were so bummed out. They did not want to be there. Like, man, you took me away from my cartoons. Like, why am I here? And these little kids, they, were not they weren't very happy. By the time the day was over, after they had handled a $70,000 mm-hmm. camera, and they got to move some lights around, mm-hmm. and they got to use the boom mic, I had a couple little boys come up to me and say, this was the best day I've ever had. This was the best day I've ever had. And what did it take? It took five hours of our time on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. The world can use more of that. (laughs) I I agree. You know, one person we had on the podcast was Nick Kagan. uh, Oh, sure, sure, of course. You know him very well. well. Um, He worked for you. Absolutely. But that's a perfect example of someone who took his had the skill set that skill set doesn't do you any good sitting around in your basement no he went out and he marketed and he met a bunch of people super talented guy and then he met people like myself who held him up and wanted to see him succeed and introduce him to other people who i knew could help grow him help him succeed, yep. and most selfishly keep him in Kansas City. Yep. And now he's at a, now he's at <laughs> Yeah, Trinity. and now he's... And, but in, if you listen to how he got to Trinity, mm-hmm. did you listen? You should listen to his podcast. I will. I, I haven't heard. I'd love he to. He went to... So I guess Trinity holds a, uh, a monthly uh, uh, happy hour, like let's call mixer. it. Like a mixer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And anyone can go. Like, yep. I could go. Smart. Anyone can go. That's cool. He was going to these for months uh-huh. and learning what the principles, the 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 key people, whoever at Trinity, what, what were they working on and what did they want to see mm. that he would go home and work on that mm-hmm. and then keep going, to, keep <laughs> going. Back, very smart. smart I kid. mean, I don't have to tell you how smart yeah, he that's is. Great. But anyway, you know, it's that type of tenacity that's yeah. kind of rare. Absolutely. That, and you do have to kind of push some people and let them know it's okay to be uncomfortable Absolutely. and to go out into the world Absolutely. and shout and call and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, how do you start a podcast? 
Yeah, it's like Tim and I. I, well, I commend you guys. You know, we, awesome. we record a few episodes, mm-hmm. and you, you kind of look at them from a 360-degree view and say, you know what, this boat's going to float. Uh-huh. And I don't. I didn't touch you the know, logo, or yeah, or the. I kind of exactly. touched the name, but you know, Tim does the copy. Leah did the logo because I was too That's close so to the cool. subject matter. And uh, yeah, were you gonna say something? Uh, you had your mic fired up. When you fire that mic up, I know you're gonna say something. <laughs> yeah, you are. I oh, I, I'm not. Gotcha. You want my mic? No. I don't have anything. I don't know what's going on. No, I, I will say one thing what you're talking about, the fact you guys started this podcast, is what I think's really neat about advertising and movie making and all of that stuff. And, and actually, everything in the world is really, it's an interesting concept to try to get, to have kids understand. Everything starts between your ears first. There's two realities. Before there was ever an outpost, there was the idea to start an outpost. Before there was ever a podcast, you had to have the idea first. What happens is people don't manage and, and cultivate those thoughts. You have to cultivate it and then turn it into something physical. And that's, that's why I say when Steven Spielberg's making a movie, I promise you, he's got a vision in his mind what the movie looks like. Long before they start rolling cameras, he had better. And, yeah, and but it's the same thing in advertising. You know, you you meet a new client, you want to you want to help push their product. I always loved Ed Wilson, a dear friend and mentor, an ad man who was with Bernstein Rain years ago. Uh, he always said, "Don't just blurt your good ideas out in a meeting because they're not worth much." He said, "Present them the next day, and they're worth ten thousand dollars." And there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. Now, we also all have that feeling. I know you well enough. If I have a good idea in a meeting, I'm going to give you the good idea right then and there. And you're the same way because we, tr- we trust each other. We work together. But it is so funny. It's all in the presentation. But the point being is everything starts as an idea. Mm-hmm. And then that idea gets turned into something physical. That's what's super cool about the video production business. And when I say video production, it includes marketing, advertising, all that. All of it starts as an idea, and then you execute it. You guys send us a script for Olathe Ford. You've got it. You, you, you're seeing it in your head before we shoot it. You know, you, again, yeah. yeah, sure, we're all going to put our two bits in mm-hmm. and twi- twist it and tweak it and whatever. But I, I find that, I think that's a thing that sometimes I think young people don't realize. It's like you said, make yourself vulnerable. Be ready to just play with stuff, you know? What can happen? To make, yeah, exactly. Are you going to get hurt? No, Are you going to get like fired? You're not going to get... Did. That's brilliant. Exactly. Kagan, you know, so he starts going to those meetings and... But that's, that's, the, that's, that's why some people end up becoming Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whatever, is they, they get these visions in their head. And then they execute. Well, it's kind of like it's a, this, this applies to clothes, but don't dress for the job you want. Well, don't wake up and be who you were yesterday. Yeah, that's good. Wake up and be who you want to be tomorrow. Exactly. And yeah. if that person is just sitting reading emails, then yeah. be that person. Yeah. But if that person wants to start a podcast and take on a new client yeah. and maybe start another business or do this, that, or whatever, that takes action. Yeah. As my father used to say, nothing happens in this world until somebody does something, until someone sells something. Exactly. Nothing happens. Exactly. 
Um, yeah, it's funny. We we did a lot of work for Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad, and you know, big financial uh, educator, amazing guy. He sold 29 million copies of his book. But he would always say, hang out with the people that you want to be like, that you want to be. And that's what I would say to young people. Kagan's the perfect example. Kagan wanted to be an animator, so what did he do? Yeah. He goes, hangs out with animators. Mm. If you want to be a drug dealer, go hang out with drug dealers. You'll be a drug dealer. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, there's so much truth to it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, that's why I go back to luck, but make your luck. Kagan, I would say Kagan is very lucky, but guess what? Kagan made his luck. He, he, he worked he, yes. very hard to make it happen. Well, luck aside, he has a skill. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. You got it. If you don't have a skill in the drive, then the rest of it doesn't matter. No, we always, throughout the years, to this day, we've always had the mentality when somebody asks us, hey, can we do such and such? The answer is yes. And then we figure out how to do it. Yep. We always figure out how to do it. Now, if we sincerely thought we couldn't do it, we're not going to say yes. But the point is, it's, it's like you said, dress for tomorrow. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, hopefully you're going up, not down. And uh, uh, challenges are what best work comes out of. Is, well, is l- look at our 7th Street creative. Yeah, I love it. You know, stuff. wakes up the industry, wakes Absolutely. up that category, wakes yes. up the city. And you see a lot of other advertisers in the same market respond. That's what I told Tim. They start to react. Because I, you know, I see a and lot And just of like the guy that says, um, uh, the guy who, uh, the country singer with the bootleg copies, uh-huh. are you mad? No, I'm not mad that everyone's using neon now on their billboards yeah, exactly. and doing word puns. Yeah. It's not a coincidence of timing. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what I love about it. Because you can be anything in advertising, but be good. Uh-huh. Outcreate me. Yeah. Let's do that. No, and it's fantastic. I told Tim those spots I hear, particularly I hear them a lot in the morning because I listen to morning drive time when mm-hmm. I'm getting ready for work. And they just push through. They just, they get well, your and attention Mike, that's, and, and they make you feel happy. That's what you're talking about is the combination of media and creative. Mm-hmm. Because obviously you know the creative, sure. but now you caught the media placement. Yeah. So it's like having bad lighting with a $200,000 camera. Exactly. You have to have good media and good creative. Good point. So the right person sees the right spot. Yep. Otherwise, you have a $200,000 camera, <laughs> which you could have just shot with a exactly. you know, $2,000 Panasonic or whatever. Sure. And what have you. Yeah, and, that's so true. You know, the whole, holistically, it has to be right. Yeah. You can't uh, half-ass the production. You can't half-ass the, the client. The placement, yeah. The placement, the media, the creative, yeah. none of it. So tell me that. I'm just curious because you talked a lot about technology and all the changes. Even to this day, television seems to be a gorilla in the room. I know, I know of course. The I'm going to call it video. I call it video now. Okay. Only yeah. because so, TV it's, it's alludes everywhere. to a desktop. Excuse me, a desktop. TV alludes to me to something that sits on the in the living room right. on a stand. And the video plays. Video plays on everywhere. your phone. This twenty-seven inch computer exactly. I have, my tablet. Right. Right. It's video, and yeah. it's the same video. Yeah. The same commercial that we're making for our local uh, CBS, ABC, Fox, uh-huh. and uh, uh, whatever affiliates mm-hmm. is also running on OTT and streaming. Yep. Is also running on YouTube pre-roll. Yep. So. Uh, Very true. Yeah, so the, 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 the business of visual storytelling is alive and well. If anything, it's probably more robust than it's ever been. Just. Oh, yeah. 
it's more, there's just so many outlets. And I forgot the question you asked me. Oh, just that the power of television, but I think you, oh, oh, you, you yeah, that's right. out, it's it, not just it's, television. It's, it's video. It's video. Well, because for, I think, a lot of reasons, the biggest reason is it's always going to be demand. Mm -hmm. Consumers want video. And YouTube is the perfect example of that. I can, and I say this all the time to clients, I can read an article that tells me how to fix a flat tire on my bike. But I would rather watch a minute and a half video on YouTube exactly. that shows me how to fix the flat tire. Exactly. It's, so it's quicker. I get the visual. You get it better. And I get it better. And to that point, I don't want that video to be produced. Because mm -hmm. if you fix how to, you know, uh, my Pinarello Raza K road bike, mm -hmm. I'm going to, how do I fix the, the tubes keeps going flat? Well, there's five results for that. One guy has music and it's edited. I don't want that guy's video. I want the video. You know, so when we make content for our clients, in other words, we make sure it looks homegrown. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's more genuine because I think that's what the consumer wants. So I think, I think one, the consumer wants video. And then two, I think that the, the bots and engines favor video. So they deliver yeah, that absolutely. to us first. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the future. Yeah. It has to be. As, as these phones get more and more robust, as they can handle more and more, there will be more and more movement incorporated mm -hmm. within these. Mm -hmm. um, I asked Dave Odegaard. He owned Odegaard Outdoor, sold it to Lamar Outdoor, oh, wow. uh -huh. and now he works for Lamar Outdoor. Uh -huh. um, amazing conversation. He was on the podcast. You can listen to it. But he said that, oh, I asked him. I said, you know, and he understood the question, but uh, anyway... I asked him, when will we have billboards that have full animation? Mm -hmm. How far out is that? Because mm -hmm. in my mind, you know, in 50 years, why aren't they moving? And I understand it's, 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 it's a supposed road hazard, driving hazard, mm -hmm. to have a moving visual on a billboard. And I get it, but so is mascara and a cell phone and, <laughs> you know, right. me trying to, you know, drink coffee while I'm driving. Yeah. Yeah. That's also a road hazard. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you, you look at, you know, the futuristic movies and you see those, you see a movement anyway i think that's yeah only we're only going up in that category so yes i think the video i think that the pandemic forced that hand mm -hmm. um i think audios had a, is very fragmented now the way i i when i ask people what do you listen to how do you listen to it it's mm -hmm. so fragmented it's so personal yeah. the, the the video viewing is less fragmented mm -hmm. and we're getting more and more convergence of that you know we saw was it cnn plus disappear mm -hmm. and then the day right. later well, it didn't last long did no it? and then a day later i think another <clears throat> the other one went you know and i think we'll soon see that i read an ad week about two months ago that for the first time streaming subscriptions had surpassed cable subscriptions so it's we all know where it's going mm -hmm. um but it's going to stay mm -hmm. video so what so as a ad agency what challenges does that create for you guys? Or, or is it just opportunities versus challenges? Well, it's a definite opportunity, but it's a really good question, Mike, because you have to educate your client. Mm -hmm. And you have to, that's a constant process. It can be. Yeah. And it's a lot of times a client, if they don't, it's sometimes it's as simple as, you know, you called it television. Understanding how that client thinks. Because every they're, they're 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 people, just like you and me, mm -hmm. and we all interpret things different. 
So now what is it to you? You know, is it traditional? Is it, you know, what does it mean to you? Okay. So now I know how to talk to you. Um, you know, if some clients are a lot more savvy. Mm-hmm. If you're in a different market, like I have a client in Wichita I was just talking to, that's such a different market than Kansas City. Mm-hmm. The medias work different. Sure. Um, you talk about social stuff in there, it doesn't mm-hmm. resonate as much. Yep. Um, they're a little bit slower for the streaming and whatnot. Uh, so you kind of, it's kind of knowing your audience mm-hmm. and it's kind of client by client, but it's really educating them on, yeah, digital's up and coming. It's not a silver bullet. You can't just do digital and say you're doing digital. You need to define the, you know, dozens of categories under that word. Mm-hmm. What tactic exactly are you doing and where is it? You know, video, you have more options now. Audio, you have more options now. Out of home, you have more options now too. I'd say the biggest uh, paradigm shift that I've experienced as a business owner and working in the world of marketing is that in the olden days when we started video post, we spent, not, not in the beginning, we didn't have the money, but we spent over 50000 a year for one page in the yellow pages. Yeah. To be in the yellow pages. Yeah. Now you tell people today, what is, nobody even knows what the yellow pages is. Right. But what you realize, you know what the yellow pages was? That was Google. Yeah. The exactly. yellow pages was Google. Exactly. It's like, hey, we'll go look in the yellow pages. Hey, you, you need a plumber? Oh, we'll go look in the yellow pages. If you weren't in the yellow pages, you didn't exist. It was a necessary evil. It was a necessary evil. And my partner, Phil, was always like, we're going to spend more and more on the yellow pages. I thought, this is crazy. Why are we spending all this money on the yellow pages? He was absolutely right. $100,000 to buy and the spine. Now, yeah. today, it's Google. It's uh-huh. SEO. Uh-huh. If you don't have powerful SEO, you don't exist. If you don't have a good website, yeah. first first and foremost. Exactly. First, you need it's a good just, website. Yeah. So it's just so... And But what's so ironic is most... Now, big companies, it's a different deal, but most small entities wouldn't dream of putting $60,000 into their... SEO, you know, we, they don't, we had they do, don't, we had you're, do and you're exactly right. And here's a very good example. And I talked to him yesterday, our friends over at Sturgis materials. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We built that. We, we rebuilt sure. their website. Yep. You and I mm-hmm. reshot or my team lots and your of, team lots of video. reshot, uh, shot lots of video and yep. lots of thousands of stills. Uh-huh. Um, so we can upload that on their uh, homepage. It's made a huge difference for them. It did. Yeah. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. I think so. Good. And if I asked some of those guys over there, they think th- they think so too. Good. Um, I mean, but so... But now, like, I'm not needing dollar, but like, what, what would a company like that put into monthly SEO? I mean, will they spend thousands on Google no, Ads? No, no, or? they don't need to. But, but, but... Is that just because they've got a but good enough... I was, where I was taking that was just the, the conversation to get them to even entertain change in the website. Mm-hmm. That was that conversation. Got you. That was that SEO conversation. Yeah. yeah. We now realize as a video company. Because they didn't see, they not to interrupt, but they just, huh? we're a rock yard. Why do I need a, fa- a fancy, better website? Well, because your rock buyer, your aggregate buyer, your engineer is younger and younger. They're not going to get older and older. Well, they're going to get younger exactly. and they're going to look more and more if they don't have a vendor book. A physical vendor no, binder. Honestly, they're going to be looking online. I know, I know it's not our industry. What? Who will accept people cold calling? Who Who wants a guy to walk in and give you a pitch? Other words, your only outlet to the outside world is the web. 
right? think I think a lot of <sighs> it's a. I just I, I I would love for some for someone to cold call on me. That's how Leah fin- uh, shit. So got you'll married. you'll accept cold calls. That's how Leah got hired. Uh huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I kind of have a similar philosophy. I'll always <laughs> my philosophy is I'll always listen to someone once. My father then, taught me never hang up on a telemarketer. Interesting. Yeah. Listen to him. Uh huh. He goes because he'll tell you everything he's doing wrong. That is so interesting. And so whether I like the product or not, I keep him on the phone. It's a learning experience. Uh huh. And I'll never forget a guy named James D'Angelo. James, I hope you hear this one day. And I'm, he, <laughs> James calls me. I won't give him my. He calls me and he catches me off guard on my office phone all the time. He's a stock. He's a trade stocks. Uh huh. They're good at it. He is. And I, James, early on, and I, we 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 learned each other. He called me, da 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 da, and I'm like, I'm telling you right now, if if this doesn't give you twenty percent in three months, I guarantee you I'm going to pay you, Mike. And I'm, and I told him I didn't have any money at the time and I didn't want to invest. And his energy, and everything went down about fifty percent. I keep in mind, I'm just keeping him on the phone. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I have zero interest. Yeah, right. He doesn't know that. But when I said that and his interest totally dropped, I said, James, don't ever do that again. Well, I said, as soon as I told you that, you treat, you acted like you lost control. Don't ever do that. Mm-hmm. Stay in touch with me uh-huh. and keep me yeah. as a friend. Yeah. And I'll be there for you one day when I do have money. That's really good. Good advice. You know, or, we always say it about the video business, advertising it would have to be similar. It's not a service that, now an agency, yes, has much more reason for a video service, but a company sitting out there, they're not always looking for a video company. You gotta catch them. They may need to make a video once every three years or right. something. So the same as anybody wants to polish up their advertising or come up with a campaign, it may, once they're an ongoing client, it's different. You know what shocks but, me about cold calls or spam calls or everyone to call them? is the amount of people who just leave after the word no. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of times legally, on some, especially if it's a, a spam call, you mm-hmm. probably legally have to hang up if I mm-hmm. say no or something. Mm-hmm. But it shocks me the amount of times when I know they're trying to sell me something and I tell them no thank you, all right, and they hang up the phone. Like, whoa, stop. That's that, it's that easy for you? You know, it's like, no, I mean... You know, but anyway. But you still, is it still, we talk about this all the time, is it still a viable, like, for example, we've never had good success having a salesperson. You know, like, hey, let's just hire this person to be a straight-up salesperson. They'll go out and beat the streets. What we find is people want to talk to the people that are going to do the work. They want to, they, they'd rather meet with a producer or a principal in the company or the creative well, but that, is it? I mean, I know that's it's why. Interesting. That's why that's a win-win for me. I'm selling them, on, and I'm one and of the owners. Involved. Yeah. Or Carol selling, and she's one of the owners. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a tenement. That's, that's a tenement we sell on, and that we live by because oh, big, we work on our accounts. Yep. Um, we don't, you don't pass pawn on. them off on. Tim doesn't have to do everything. You know. I mean, no, we earn it. Sure. Um, no, that's. So no, you do, do you get to work with the people who are actually. <laughs> so the trick these days as a small business is what's the best way to get, to get to get in the mind mind of a potential customer, when they're inundated with all this. Back stuff. yourself into a budget, stick to it, and then find yourself a good Sherpa. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if your budget's, I hate to give it a firm number, but if really, if you have any budget, you should have someone managing that for you. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that old stupid saying about changing your own oil. Yeah. Exactly. You wouldn't do it. There you go. You wouldn't shoot your own yeah. car commercial. You wouldn't shoot your own casino or exactly. bank commercial. Exactly. You wouldn't shoot your own healthcare commercial on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You'd no, hire a professional. So, I mean, you know, whether you're a small jewelry store or you're a big bank, you know, and, and, and you said something earlier, you were getting business from other production companies. Yeah, that's how we got started. I hesitated to say this, but... I've said it. Um, <laughs> we get business from other agencies uh-huh. because they know they can't do justice by a car dealer right? or no, a guy I, with I 300. Totally you know, if, the, if you only have a half a million dollars or it. let's say you, you only have $80,000. Perfectly into that. Yeah. You know, uh, Trezolo, Bernstein, Barkley, MMG, yeah. you, awesome. you name it. Uh, let alone we're full service. They'll you know, say, go talk to Fasonian Partners. They right? do, and they will. They wow. say, we can't do that. that but Fasonian Partners can't. They have too much overhead. That's awesome. And they don't need a hundred grand. Like they, they need a hundred thousand dollars like they need, you know, <laughs> versus that's our bread and butter. Exactly. You know, we have no, clients. Video, that post would be similar. Yeah. Sure. We have clients that maybe come to us once a year mm-hmm. for a pamphlet. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we used to work with a smart architectural firm called um, um, Lankford Fendler. Mm-hmm. They rebranded as Linkford Fendler. Um, I can't think of the name, you guys. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, we did a specialty mailer that they would cold call to help them with their cold calls. So they had a, a hit list mm-hmm. of companies they'd love to do some, you know, some work for. Um, so we'd do these little mailers that would stand out and get attention for them. Anyway. Yeah, it's so cool. It's uh we have a good industry. We have a good city for our industry, I think. Absolutely. When, I, when, I, when we talk to other markets, like we're talking to a lot of markets right now, we're at any given time, we're in at least, let's say, 20, 30 markets. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We're really saturated. Um, and I hope that we can keep our advertising production culture. Mm-hmm. I hope we didn't lose some of that during COVID. Oh, I think it's coming back very well, actually. Well, I mean, on your side, you guys can't work remotely. So that no, never really became... Much, we never... We honestly, we barely shut down during COVID because... Well, how do you? We couldn't. You we'd can't. Be, uh, we'd be bankrupt. We couldn't. I mean, we were... Re- I mean, we had But I mean, you can't like shoot a commercial weeks. remotely and edit it remotely. No. No, um, no I got to keep doing it. And I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, a, it's again, something that should be said out loud because um, just like health workers, heroes work there. Yeah, no, I mean, in some regard, the, awesome, the, the show has awesome to go on. Market, really, I mean, it's we're all sitting in this room. We're all making a living here in Kansas City. Yeah, flyover territory, right? <laughs> it's like keep flying over. That's just fine. The uh, we often say it's like you know we shoot all over the world, but Kansas City's home. You know, Kansas City's it's the only headquarters we've ever had. It's the only one we will have. I mean, it's. Well, uh, it's a place of doing business. Wrap this up, Mike. Mm-hmm. But what's the bulk of what's how much of your work does Kansas City account for? That is a really interesting question. And I know it changes. I'd say it's probably gosh, it's kind of wild. Maybe 40%. Oh, really? Yeah. That low. Yeah. yeah. 50, 50 50 be safe. Good for you guys. 50 would be safe. Really spread out. Well, again, the funny That feels no, good. It's just funny. We have it's, a, it's also a matter of how far you want to draw the, the lines. 
we do a significant amount of tourism-related work Okay. Uh, for people out of Branson. Because of working for That's Branson, right. we then got work in Pigeon Forge. And because of Pigeon Forge, we got some stuff in Myrtle Beach. And it's not, a t- it's not like I'm not constantly traveling these places. But And actually, I just mentioned three different locations. Those clients have never been to our studio. Right. They, they met us because we were on location sure. in Branson. We make the relationship. And now, like, no, I can tell you who they are, Dolly Parton Stampede. We've worked for them for over 25 mm-hmm. years. A Pirate's Voyage, which is also owned by Dolly Parton. And ironically, I haven't met Dolly. I'd love to meet you Dolly haven't? Parton. No. We, <laughs> ironically, one time we had a crew filming Dolly. I couldn't be there, which just killed me. I'd love to meet her. My sister uh, met Dolly. But we do a lot of work with company. We, we have a big industrial client out of uh, Omaha, Nebraska that makes irrigation equipment for agriculture. They've never been to Outpost. Mm-hmm. They've never been to visit us in Kansas City. And, and it doesn't matter. And, and again, it's funny, though, is a lot of it, it's because of SEO. It's because we're getting inquiries. Obviously, our search is hitting. We're getting searched outside of Kansas City. Okay. Somehow, because we're getting called from other markets. Huh. So, hallelujah, I'm not, you know, I, I don't know what the secret sauce, why that's happening. But, you know, we're getting called from other, from most calls, of course, are within this region. But I'd say at the end of the day, it's probably 50-50, you know, something like that. That's good. Um, you know, we've had big experiences doing actual game production, television show production, Wonderful experience, a whole nother discussion. But the problem with it is you can't sleep in your own bed. If you if you want to be in the television business, you need to move to either Atlanta, L.A., or New York. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got to go live in one of those. Got to go where they are. You got to live there. Got to go where the food where the is. industry is. You know, L.A.'s on fire. I mean, that place. Or not, I'm sorry. Literally. Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta's, <laughs> Atlanta's on, yeah, literally, too. But Atlanta is such a powerful market. But our goal and your goal and a lot of people's goal is we want to keep building up the capability and building up the content, whether whatever type it is, that's coming out of the Midwest. That's why we're super proud our show, My World 2, gets played on 300, 300 stations across the country. One of the last things I want to mention about Outpost is that you have a live production truck. Absolutely. We didn't mention yeah. that. There's a lot we haven't mentioned, but we're yeah. going on three hours here, and I, yeah, it's I don't know how much time you have. But the... Uh, yeah, it's in, and it gets used a lot. In Does fact, it? That's what's one thing that came out of COVID is these companies couldn't have their big global meetings. So what did they have to do? They had to have virtual, virtual global meetings. So we pull the truck up and film at their headquarters, and then it gets beamed out to China and Turkey and all over the place. So, but you also use that truck on First Fridays, don't you? Uh, we use it not on First Friday. We use it for the big festivals for. Uh, uh, I'm forgetting the fest, Irish Fest and uh, Boulevardia and those kind of festivals, feeding the screens. It's IMAG, feeding feeding the screens at the big festivals. Okay. And then also uh, Stampede in Topeka, which is a big festival. It's a real big country festival. What else What, what else may I not know about Outpost? Um, you know, that just what I've just mentioned is that we, we have a real passion to make purpose-driven content for Mainly for public television, you know, we had more than forty episodes. And you've been doing that forever. Yeah, we have, and it and it's and it's been good. I mean, that's why we're investing the time and 
effort into And again, that's kind of something you, you, you kind of uh, tested here locally, right? You yes, kind of went into exactly. some local businesses exactly. and said, hey, do you mind if I yeah. shoot this? It's for yeah. free. No, they all, all of them started here. And then became... And that's another thing I love about working with you, you know, and we, we, like that spec piece we did for Crosswinds Casino, uh-huh. I don't mind, I don't mind like publicly that. mentioning sure. that and right now because I can. Uh-huh. Um, uh, that was so much fun. It was. That it was, was so awesome, yeah. you know, and I can call you really cool. and we can jam on stuff like that yeah. and you come up with the ideas and that mesh well with my with visions and yeah. then it just, it all gels. We'll keep it going. All right. Keep well, let's rolling. wrap this up. Keep rolling cameras. So we can go uh, do our day jobs. Thank you. Let me shake your hand. Let's great, get out of here, Mike. To talk to you. Love Thank working you. with you. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to the Little Agency That Roars podcast. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on fasonipartners.com under podcast. Be sure to subscribe, be sure to like, and leave a review. If you want to submit an interview or submit yourself for an interview, please email roar at fasonipartners.com. That's R-O-A-R at fasonipartners.com. Thanks.